we want to start uh, this episode the same way that we start um, most of them in the newbie panel as well. So I'd love to hear everybody's one word reaction to this episode and why. So let's start with Lakitia. Oh, I, I forgot to prepare for that one. Um... <laughs> so just go from the heart. Speak from the heart, sister. Oh, wow. Okay, so the first one that came to my mind was unfortunately convoluted. Uh, I, I normally, I don't go that negative, like right off the bat and i'm not entirely negative at all about this episode or anything but uh the the one thing that did stick stick out to me um was just the whole revelation part which in my opinion was really really rushed it wasn't well thought out it was just the whole arc of having Halbrand revealed within one episode. I mean, by the, by the beginning of this episode, Galadriel wasn't even suspecting him yet. Nothing like that. And then within a few scenes, we just get her from, from point he's, you know, he's my new BFF to the point where, oh my gosh, this is the person who murdered my brother. And I thought it was all done with, with, a, with a big lack, lack of subtlety. So, yeah. I guess I'll go with that. But yeah, I really want to reinforce that I'm not not entirely negative on the episode. It was a very pleasant episode to to watch all in all. Uh, but some parts kind of really irked me. So yeah, that's where we're at. All right. We've got one irked member of panel two. <laughs> Let's go to Strider. Um, well, I will say finally. And by finally, I mean finally one episode I didn't... I didn't um, have to actively activate my sense of uh, special disbelief. I actually, this is the first episode. I, it's been a while since I watched the first and second episode, so I'm not sure. Maybe the first one was kind of also on the same level, but I, I don't think. I don't think so. I think the episode eight was the first episode for me that was overall just a fun episode. I watched it. I enjoyed it. I agree. It has more problems. It has. It, 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 the way Lakita just put it, it did. It feels rushed, you know. Like it, it, a lot of things happened in this episode that could have happened over a course of like two or three episodes, and I think we would all like to see that happen in that way. But overall, it was a fun episode that I wasn't annoyed actively, consciously by something like you know, like there was a lot of good stuff in previous episodes, but there was always at least one or two things that really took me out of it. This was the first episode I was like finally just enjoying myself. Like I, I was able to just let, let myself go. I felt similarly, you know, as, as soon as I realized, you know what, Hal Brand is Sauron and I'm just going to accept it. I had a better time watching it <laughs> when I was able to just let myself accept that this is where we're going. OK, I'll get on board. I'll just I'll just get on board and enjoy the ride. And it, it's <laughs> it seems to go better if we can if we can you know, put aside some of our, some of our critiques as we're watching it. Um, but now is the time for critiques, I would say. So let's move to the, let's move to the melon heads. Uh, you, you fellas, one word and why? Um, I'll, I think the word that I wrote down was similar to what, uh, well, what Akita said as well, which was rushed. And again, uh, similarly, I'm not going to say that I'm uh, I was negative about the episode in a, as a whole, but the, I I, re, I kind of related it earlier in a different episode to um, sorry in 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 our episode review I said it was I would have expected something more similar to Breaking Bad where um, mm. Hank finally finds out that um, 
Uh, his brother-in-law is the big bad, is, is Heisenberg. And we get this kind of season break before that reveal and before they actually confront each other. And it just did feel like it was extremely rushed from uh, Galadriel finding out, us as a member, us as audience finding out at the same time. I would have been perfectly fine with us finishing the season with us having found out that mm-hmm. uh, he was Sauron, but nobody else knowing about that. It was just something for the for the, the viewers. And I think Galadriel found out way too soon, in my opinion. But um, apart from that, again, I, I did enjoy this episode. I thought it was a very fun episode. Uh, but just in terms of a pacing situation, the ter- the pacing in this episode compared to other episode- episodes has been a little bit uh, all over the place. So um, that was, but again, overall, uh, quite a good episode, I think. I think so too. And I would like to also add that the reveal of Sauron was obviously rushed, but they also included lots of other things that I didn't expect to be in the episode, such as, well, we're going to get into it later, I assume, but the revelation of who the stranger might or might not be. And obviously the the forging of the three rings of power. Just couldn't believe that they managed to squeeze that into about 10 minutes of an episode <laughs> when I thought they could have they could have just left that for season two if 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 we're only touching on it now. So um yeah, it's a, a lot of stuff squeezed into one little episode. Yeah. Well let's mm-hmm. Let's start from the beginning. Let's let's talk about the stranger. Let's talk about Meteor Man um, encountering the three mystics. Um, this was definitely controversial. I want to hear from the lore folks. Do we think he's Gandalf? Do we think he's that they're deliberately misleading us? Um, and I want to get your thoughts on the mystics um, in general, who they are, who we think they are. Um, hopefully we see them again uh, and get, you know, more background on them. But uh, let's let's start with Strider. Uh, yeah, so I think it's 99.99% clear that this, this guy is pretty much uh, Gandalf or the person who will eventually be known as Gandalf. Uh, I think if, if, if it's Gandalf, it's going to be very interesting to see um, how he will get the name because you know he has several names depending on the area and depending on the people talking to him so it's going to be interesting how he will get the name um so i think he's Gandalf, but i'm still holding out some hope that either he is one of the blue wizards or that at least we will get to see them because he's going east so or he's going to the lands of rune so i'm hoping that it's either it's either one of the blue wizards or he will at least take us there but it's pretty clear that it's pretty likely that it's, it's Gandalf. Um, mm-hmm. As for the the three ladies, um, I saw a video, I think today, of one of the one of the showrunners mentioning the cults in the east, and there's like some stories there. And when you pause the show um, on on Amazon Prime, obviously, uh, it's in, in one of those sections that are like there as like extra tidbits. It says that there are several stories of the wizards that haven't been told yet, that haven't been heard yet. So I think there it's quite likely that there are indeed the, some cultists, but whether it's exactly Sauron's cultists or maybe one of the blue wizards that got corrupted by Sauron and or Morgoth or something like that, like it's it's unclear. There's potential, and it's interesting that they uh, decided to use the shape-shifting powers. Because we know that Sauron is, of course, known as the shapeshifter. So, oh. yeah. 
loved the shape shifting. I <laughs> love when, she, you know, we think it's Nori and then the eyes change and she goes down. It's so dramatic and it worked so well. I wish it wasn't spoiled in the trailer. Exactly. Yes, yes it was. Yeah, one of the newbies brought it up, you know, and I was like, wait, what? And then I went back and watched and realized, yeah, oh, they flashed to that. But still very, very cool um, effects with the mystics. Um, let's go to Lakitia. Your thoughts on is this Gandalf? Is this not Gandalf and the encounter with the mystics in general? Um, oh, we have Mike with us as well. <laughs> Hello, Hello, everyone. <laughs> Let's go. Welcome, the man, the legend. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> your patience. I had a little bit of a you know family reunion type gathering uh, this morning. I was trying to get a little bit of the best of both worlds and uh, ended up cutting you all short. So sorry, but I'm here. I'm here now. Uh, what, what did I miss? Lots of fun, I'm sure. <laughs> lots and Always. lots of fun. Um, I had big shoes to fill, but I we were just discussing the meteor man and his encounter with the mystics. If we think he's Gandalf, is he Gandalf? Is he not? And how do we feel about um, his encounter with the mystics? So we're going to Lakitia, and I will hand it. <clears throat> I will leave this in your capable hands, Michael. So thank Th you. Thank you, Jen, for for. Um, <laughs> keeping the show together <laughs> absolute pleasure and i'll be i'll be watching and listening and maybe even chatting and maybe even calling if you're lucky so <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> all right take it away lakitia um all right so as far as the mystics are concerned i i i don't think they're my favorite concept in this show um I don't think I've been a fan of, of them ever since we saw the, you know, the feminum in the trailer. But um, the way they were done, it, it just leaves me a little bit puzzled. Like, are they human? And if so, where did they learn their magic? Because obviously not from Sauron, because otherwise they would have recognized him, etc. Um, so, yeah, not, not the biggest fan. And I thought it was really, really... Um, surprising in a way that they they presented um the 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 shape-shifting of nori or into nori or from nori back to herself uh that they showed it in a trailer and it was in the trailer i got the feeling that this, this was going to be like you know the 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 peak of the episode it was that was going to be where the action's at and then we get it over with it within the first minute or so even before we get the credits rolling so i thought that was a little bit of an odd choice um, but as far as Meteor Man being anybody other than Gandalf, I think they kind of want us to believe that. That's why they're just, you know, letting little breadcrumbs here and there in interviews mentioning the Blue Wizards and the other Istari that whose stories we haven't yet heard. Um, but in my opinion, you know, with lines like follow your nose and it would be really, really, really bizarre in my opinion if if he were anyone other than Gandalf. I mean, that would have meant that the, the, the wizards must have this secret code and they all, you know, pull their quotes up from, from, from the same book. So They all yeah. follow I, their noses. They all follow their noses. And <laughs> I think a of lot of... Yeah, I, I also think a lot of the audience members, especially, you know, non-book readers, would be very, very pissed off if he were anyone other than Gandalf after all the teasing that they've done. So... Yeah. Well, I would add in there before we um, go to, uh, I want to hear from Strider as well on this, but um, this, it is interesting that the way that they revealed the stranger's identity, if he is indeed Gandalf, is through a quote, not from the books, but to the Jackson films. And it's also interesting that that wouldn't reveal anything to anyone unless 
they were very familiar with the films. So that leaves totally new fans who are being introduced to the Rings of Power uh, or uh, being introduced to Tolkien through the Rings of Power. They're out in the cold. They don't get it unless they like catch it on Twitter or Facebook or an article. So it's an interesting way to reveal your big twist. If indeed that is what they were going for. That is the twist for the stranger arc um, that he is Gandalf. You know, they did it in a way where half the people aren't going to get it. So Strider, but what do you I think? don't think, or, yeah, can I just chime in really, really quickly? I don't think this was meant to be the big revelation. I just think that they're meant to, you know, be teasing us more and more and more, just like they were doing with Halbrand. And with Halbrand, we did get our revelation uh, in this episode, but with, with, Meteor Man, who who may or may not be Gandalf, who is Gandalf. Uh, I think they just want you know to keep the the mystery going a little bit further, but you know re really reinforcing that sense of familiarity for movie watchers. So yeah. Strider, what do you think? Any chance he's not Gandalf? Are we all? I think we're all probably in agreement. Most likely Gandalf, but what are the yeah, odds like that he's not Gandalf? You know, five percent, two percent. Yeah, like not more than two or three percent. I think like there's potential for the blue wizard. I I think I think the the mystics that them being here, whether they are some sort of like lesser Meyer or genuinely some um, men like like the sorcerers of men, sorceresses. Um, I think we we are going to today. I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think uh, we're going to get some sort of blue wizards. And I think these could be cultists of one of the cults that maybe one of mm -hmm. the blue wizards have created. But yeah. So there's a lot of interesting stuff that happened in that their short exchanges. So when they realize that he's not Sauron, they say he's one of the other, one of the Astar, or I think they say Astar, not actually Astar, but basically mm -hmm. revealing to us the viewers that they know of this other order of Meyer like being, which makes me think that some of the Astari are already in middle earth. So we'd all been speculating for a long time. Maybe this is one of two blue wizards and there's another blue wizard out there. Um, so maybe we're going to get something like that. Maybe both blue wizards are already in middle earth. So um, Johnny, Dave, I want to, I want to hear from, from you on this. Do you think there are other wizards that we are in Middle Earth. And also, I want to ask, are you guys actually the same location for once? It's great to see you. Both yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're both like, we're both in Spain. We can yeah, we can aw. feel each other, which is uh which is weird. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't need we to feel usually... each other on on camera, but uh That's okay. Well, that's, that's, okay. that's when we Go feel ahead. each other the most. <laughs> <laughs> what was the previous question? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the so I want to I want to actually rebuttal a little bit because everyone seems to be 99% in the camp of um this blue or sorry this wizard being Gandalf but they haven't really done any big revelation like they did with Halbrand mm -hmm. being Sauron and I know they had the always follow your nose thing but like what you said Michael um that's a Peter Jackson quote mm -hmm. or that's a reference from the movie so I think this is literally just to keep people guessing and it's kind of saying it could be Gandalf, but we're not explicitly saying it is him. I think it's really interesting that they talk about Rune in this episode as well. And I don't think Gandalf ever went to mm. the East. So um, he specifically says he doesn't to the East. I go not mm -hmm. when he's uh, exactly. telling people about his names. Yeah, right. So mm. um, the fact that I, I don't know, I think the stars are aligning, so to speak, with this guy being a blue wizard. And I think that their Amazon are just trying to tease everyone or they know that people are going to be putting out 
um, columns and tweets saying, oh, the Gandalf is in the show, Gandalf is in the show, and that'll, that'll pull other people into watching this TV show. So I think it's clever, uh, but I'm not convinced that it's Gandalf. If it definitely was, I think they would have done something a lot more revealing, I suppose. And, um, and then to talk about the actual mystics as well, I agree. I don't know if they are actually human at all or what the story there is especially when this wizard guy shot them with his lightning bolt or whatever he did and they looked really like the uh the nazgul from the peter jackson yeah. movie so they seemed like they were from another world so i don't know was that just whatever magic he was using or that he was forcing back upon them but yeah turning into moths and shadow you came and you know to the shadow i bid you return or something to that effect kind of echoing what gandalf says to the balrog and moria you know go back Mm. to the shadow which you know maybe they are some sort of lower mind which would be interesting so that that no that's just another gandalf kind of tease people would kind of recognize just hearing hearing him say go back to the shadow or go back from whence you came (laughs) but yeah i definitely don't i always thought they were cultists but they have too much power for Mm. humans so Mm -hmm. i don't really too weird they are too weird (laughs) yeah i don't like them um they freak me out and i wish they didn't die well maybe in season two we'll get to see more cultists and we'll get to hear about them i hope amazon doesn't just like not explain who they were because um they have a lot to explain. <laughs> well, and th- that's that's a good question. Do you think, I know it kind of looked like they died. I mean, we saw their spirit form. They turned into butterflies. But if they are something, if they're not human, that perhaps they did not actually die. You know, their mm, physical form right. was destroyed by the stranger slash Gandalf. Um, but perhaps their spirits fled elsewhere and they will eventually be rehoused. And so I, I'll put the question to you. Do you think we will see these three characters again? And sort of the meta aspect of this is, you know, they spent a lot of time on the mystics in teasers and promotional materials. They were some of the characters I was most interested to find out about. And we learned absolutely nothing or almost nothing, right? It would mm-hmm. be such a shame if this is the last we see of them. It would almost not make sense. So, um, both in the story and the sort of from meta aspect, I feel like maybe we'll see these characters again. But I want to hear your thoughts about that. Well, I hope we do get to see them again because, as you've rightly pointed out, we they were they were teased a lot in the promotional, uh, well, in the trailers and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like when they actually finally arrived on the scene, it definitely added a lot more weight and a lot more um, impetus to the story of the Harfoots because, apart from them just kind of wandering around, and the the big danger was just being left behind by the other Harfoots. Uh, they actually had a real danger, a present danger that was kind of chasing them. So it gave a lot more uh, importance to that story and a lot more uh, need to kind of, um, I don't know, to just continue and try and uh, get away from these guys, hide from them or try and take them on, which they ended up doing. So I definitely thought that they pushed that story along a lot better once they kind of once they eventually came in. And now, I, 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 for me, my personal opinion is that these are um, maybe lower level Maiar and that they are not mm-hmm. dead. They have been pushed back to the shadow realm. And if he says back to the shadow or whatever the exact quote was, uh, I think that's pretty much telling us exactly that he is not killing them. He's just basically maybe taking away their corporal form and that they've been sent uh, to maybe... Like in Superman, one of the uh, Zod's little squares that he gets sent out into, <laughs> into the void or something, or else just gets sent back to the Shadow Realm. But uh, 
I certainly, and to also mirror what, what Dave said, I'm still holding out for Blue Wizard. And I think that there's been so many red herrings around uh, Meteor Man that this could just be another one of those. And I definitely think that the season finished with the big reveal of Halbron being Sauron. And I think maybe they purposefully didn't give that, like give him an actual name, say this is like Gandalf or Olorin or any of his other names. And I actually thought that another theory that I think I saw somewhere on Twitter, maybe that it might be interesting if we just, if we never get a name for this character throughout the whole series, maybe they gave him a different name. And at the end of the entire series, we have to make up our, our own minds about who we think this character is. Is he Gandalf? Is he one of the blue wizards? Mm. Which could also be an interesting uh, spin on it. But I actually, I remember my, my first feeling when I saw that they were um, calling him Sauron and they wanted to make him evil. I thought maybe he could still be a blue wizard and he would eventually learn these uh, evil traits and become a, kind of an evil cult leader out in the East, out in Rune. I thought that would be a really cool so story cool. to follow as well. Mm -hmm. But um, it looks like he's, as he says, I am good. So um, I, yeah, or I am Groot. I'm not sure which one he says. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, it looks like he's not going to be an evil cultist out in the out in Rune, so that's disappointing. Well, it is still just season one, so that he could still he's got time to go evil. Mm -hmm. And you know, there was a moment that I thought was interesting when they tell him that he's Sauron, and they say, you know, you have power over uh, fire, and and they start sort of listing off his supposed powers, and he starts kind of feeling the power, and the winds going, and um, he seems to be kind of enjoying. The, the power that they are saying he has. There is a little glimmer of evil in there, <laughs> kind of embracing um, the evil that they were saying he was. So I don't know, like maybe, but also maybe that's just Gandalf, right? Because Gandalf talks about how if he had the ring, he would eventually become a Dark Lord, right? So they, everybody's got that kernel of uh, temptation inside them. So it, I think the door is still open. Maybe it's just 2%, maybe 5%, but we could be seeing something, something else I here. Can I jump in quickly? Please. I, I didn't see this as him enjoying the, the power necessarily, but more so that, you know, he spent the whole season not knowing who he was. He had this season-long identity crisis, and now he finally seems to be getting some answers. And I would say that must be pretty exciting for him. Um, but also, that's also the, the other reason why I don't think we will actually be seeing the mystics again. I think their purpose was to help him realize who he is and come to terms with you know his alignment whether he's good or evil mm -hmm. um so i think you know that purpose has been served they have been banished into the void in the shape of moths um and i i would be surprised if we get to see them again we we don't know from the lore that sauron had any of these sorts of cultist types of wizardy witchy characters at least from what I know, I mean, they're not werewolves, most likely, though I know that that theory has been circulating as well, um, following those three wolves that attacked the Harfoots. But I think their storyline is mostly done by now. I don't know. I don't expect to see them again. Strider, how, how about you? Do you think we'll see them again? And uh, I also want to throw in, do you think that they are actually from Rune? And the reason I ask that is they, they quote the line, you know, and this is something they do in the show all the time. They pull a line either from the books or from the movies and just kind of put it in someone else's mouth, just kind of to wink at the audience. You know, we can debate whether, you know, the degree mm -hmm. to which we like that. But they take Aragorn's words or they say, you know, in Rune where the stars are strange, which makes sense coming from Aragorn because he's not from Rune. So the stars would seem strange. But if they are from Rune, mm -hmm. you, know, you don't talk about your own hometown like, 
you know, I'm uh, I'm in uh, Phoenix where the desert is strange. It's like, nah, it's like that's my hometown, you know. <laughs> so it seems a little odd. Uh, are they from Rune or, you know, are they from somewhere else? And maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe I'm uh, overly nitpicking, but I'm, uh, I wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, it's definitely a, a important thing to speculate on. Like, there's definitely potential to for, for some important information there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we may not see, may, maybe we will not see these, tri- these three specifically, but I think we will see more of them of like their, let's call it an order of Oracultor, however. I think mm-hmm. we will definitely see them because, you know, the stranger, whoever he is, he is definitely going the east and he's going to have to like there's going to be some conflict for sure so he will need some sort of an adversary there so i don't know i think it's um it's strange uh, to to think about uh like who they are because they do seem to have a presence in the unseen world and it's like a pretty clear presence so you know, someone in the chat said, you know, Galadriel never went to Numenor in the books, so maybe Galad can go to the East or something like that. Um, there were definitely changes to the lore, so I can see uh, all sorts of scenarios happening here. And, you know, is Rune really that far East that we can call it East? Because the map that we see, you know, the map that we associate with, the, with Middle-earth is like the northwest basically like a huge part of the of the whole landmass but it's like the the northwest of the continent of the whole landmass so maybe technically going to the area around the sea of rune is not east of the whole landmass though it is of course obviously east of the map that we associate with the world of miller so i don't know i think we will see see them i think I don't know. I'm 50-50. Like they could be, <laughs> they could be some sort of of Meyer, but they could also be uh, the a member members of some cult. Like then again, the fact that they can shape change, I think it's too too out there for for a mortal to have that sort of mm-hmm. power. So if I had to ha- if I had to make a bet, I would say that they are um, some sort of spirits. Although it is and worth noting that. The power of illusion is something that uh, non-Maiar have exercised, granted not immortal, but, you know, uh, I think Finrod, you know, I'm talking about the tale of Ben Luthien here, he, he mm. disguises him and his uh, soldiers, companions, when they're, you know, approaching Tulsirion, and uh, Luthien does the same thing, he, mm-hmm. she disguises herself and Baron as, as orcs. Um, of course, these are elves, these are po- more powerful characters than just mortals, but... Um, they may be grabbing onto this notion that like the power of illusion is something that can be exercised by uh, uh, folks other than the Maiar or Valar. So maybe they'd be kind of going with that. And that kind of gets okay, into... That's a good point. Uh, and that kind of gets into another question I wanted to pose to Johnny and Dave. Just, and Lakiti, you pointed out, like there's a lot of action. This was the action sequence. This was the fight, the battle. You know, this is kind of the high point in terms of, uh, from an action-oriented perspective. Um, how did you guys like the display of magic. We saw more magic in this episode than in any other episode uh, in this season and really in uh, most Lord of the Rings adapt- adaptations, period. Like, we don't see this level of magic. Really, really powerful mm. magic from both the mystics mm. and also from the stranger. We see a callback to uh, Saruman holding his staff and, and, 
and from the Fellowship of the Ring, we see one of them do the same thing, use the staff in that same way, and sort of the power of levitation. So a lot of magic, and I, I think that the way that magic is displayed and used is very, very important. It's very important to me. I prefer that it be subtle and not over the top. We get kind of an over the top demonstration of magic here, and I'm I want to hear everybody's thoughts about the use of magic in mm. the Rings of Power generally, but specifically in this scene. Yeah, I think we definitely get a bit of a throwback to the Fellowship of the Ring movie where we had that wizard off and there was the kind of a, I know it's known as the, the, the breakdancing wizards, but, um, and I think there were some calls to that as well, where we saw Gandalf or if we're calling him Gandalf now, we saw the stranger just kind of being thrown around and uh, been thrown into rocks and walls and mm -hmm. things like that. And uh, yeah, it was very reminiscent. And mm -hmm. I, I agree with you, Michael, that for me, I think in Tolkien's writings, the, the magic is more subtle, but I'm not going to say I disliked it. I definitely enjoy watching magic on TV and I think it's, it can be really fun. I thought it was actually done quite well. And it, um, I don't know. I just, for me, I really enjoyed that scene. I thought it was just very, I, I, I really was blown away by the visuals in this, in this yeah. episode as a whole, to be quite honest. I thought it was incredible. Um, I didn't really, I remember as soon as we saw the kind of banishing of the, the mystics into the shadow realm or whatever ended up happening and the kind of the butterflies and the moths, I remember just kind of like pausing it and looking at Dave and being like, what's the meaning behind this? Yeah. What, what does that mean? These moths? is there a deeper meaning? And we both were just a bit kind of baffled, but I am, um, I just took it for a beautiful visual as well. I thought it was really cool. And we definitely, I think it's very um, purposefully done that we see these three mystics in their kind of wraith form almost, I think. And it's, they do, I think it's done on purpose that they look similar to Peter Jackson's wraiths. Uh, when Frodo puts on the ring at Weathertop, for example, I think that's supposed to remind us of that from uh, to, well, as a viewer, uh, from the viewer's perspective. So I don't think that was accidental at all. And I think for that reason, again, it makes me feel like these are some sort of mm -hmm. creatures or whatever people that live in this spirit world, in the spirit realm. So for me, that's why I'm thinking has to be Maiar um, in some sort of level, maybe a, a lower level, obviously, that they're trying to worship um, Sauron. But um, yeah, again, hopefully magic is going to be used sparingly throughout the rest of the series. But for this once off here and there, I, am, I really I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Jen pointed out to me when we were debating this uh, on our podcast breakdown that this was really the only episode where they where we saw magic. So if you don't like overuse of magic, they have been pretty restrained in the show. Um, this That's is really true. the only example of it. So Lakitia, how about you? Um, yeah, for me, it was pushing it a little bit, but, uh, like you, like you just said, I mean, if this is a one-off, if this is something that's going to happen once or twice every season, um, that's fine with me. Um, what I did find a little bit more perhaps inexplicable is that, I don't know, in the Hobbit, we have Gandalf, you know, sitting atop a, a, I don't know what it was, a pine tree or something, and just, you know, trying to light the, the cones on fire and throw them at the wolves, at the, at, at the works. And here we just have this person just being super, super powerful. Like this, this is superhero level of, of magic and nowhere in the Lord of the Rings had he displayed this amount of, of just pure, I don't know, arcane power and I, I i don't necessarily need to see that i'm i'm fine with magic being a little more subtle like it was in the books tolkien wasn't one for really intricate magic systems um but i suppose you know the, i think this 
even even with the mythology behind these mystics, I don't think they're gonna go or they did go too deep into it or I don't think we're gonna get them explained at any point. I think this is just, you know, they were using magic because it, it looked cool. I think that's all there is to it, unfortunately. I don't think mm -hmm. we'll ever have any sort of explanation, yeah. The way I kind of kind of have sort of like an excuse in my head or like an explanation for the the amount of magic that the mystics display is uh, so the Istari they need to they, they are one of the key instructions is that they need to keep their inner magic and power under control and not to really show mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. so if I mean not if like these guys are obviously evil and uh, perhaps that's why they, they're not showing the same level of restraint. I'm not saying that's mm -hmm. that it is as, as I say, but in my, in my head, I'm trying to find like a balance between Gandalf throwing those pine cones and uh, them doing this. I absolutely agree. This is crazy, especially if they're just mortals. But um, perhaps there's that's this level of restraint that the Istari have on themselves. But if these three and perhaps I assume there's more of them, so like the rest of their order, if they're also like some other type of Maya, perhaps that's why like they they don't care about the limitations because the Valar are those who impose the limitations on the Istari. So perhaps that's why these three uh, can show that level of power, but that's definitely something that sh I'm hoping we're gonna get explained at some point. It's too early to say like, perhaps we will not get an explanation. Perhaps we will. It's too early to know like whether they're coming back or not that's also a very important question so we will definitely have to of course uh, see what's what happens in the second season I'm, I'm hoping we get more of this I think we will because he has to go east and he needs to fight someone so well and I, I'm wondering remind me um you know we've been talking about all three of the mystics using magic but the only one I really actually, now that I think about it, remember using magic is Slim Shady, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. She's she can she's the illusionist. You know, she can change yeah. form. She uses uh, fire. Mm -hmm. um, she's the one who actually battles with the stranger. You know, one of them has like I don't know, throwing stars or throwing moons. You know, that she, one of them's good at pointing. I think as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> one of them is giving orders. One of them's doing all the magic, yeah. and one of them's like the fighter. Um, just kind of. And this one doesn't talk at all either. I think the yeah, the I, magic she one. Yeah. yeah. The dweller. She's just isn't it? The, the, the dweller? Okay. Isn't that her name? I think I that's know. right. Yeah. So the ascetic is the one that I would consider the leader who did the most talking. This is mm -hmm. the dweller. And then I don't remember what the other oh, one the, is. Oh, the nomad, maybe? The nomad. Something like, I think it's the nomad, the third one. Yeah. Yeah. She seems to be the only one that uh, can really do some, you know, high level magic. Mm -hmm. So. So we may or may not see the mystics in the future. Uh, maybe they're fully dead. Maybe we'll see these characters. Maybe we'll see other characters like them because the stranger is going to ruin. But that is that is something that they are teeing up for the next season. So, um, you know, a good season finale wraps up storylines, but also teases new ones. And so I think that we're getting a little bit of that here with with these characters. I, I for one, do hope we see them again. Um, but before moving on from the stranger, we got to talk a little bit about the Harfoots. Um, really pulling their own in this battle, I think. Uh, Sadik popping out of the weeds and stabbing one of them in the foot. You know, they they uh, were not useless. They're not totally useless. 
Um, but poor Sadek uh, having really, I think, a, a really nice death scene. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a weird sentence to say. Nice death scene. <laughs> but um, it, it was kind of a beautiful moment and really well done. And mm-hmm. I think very notable that he accepts his death, um, which I think will be in stark contrast to the Numenorians, mm-hmm. of course, which, you know, they don't. And mm-hmm. that's because of their downfall. Mm-hmm. So um, what did you all think of Sadek's death scene? Yay or nay on, on Sadek's death? No. I love the way it was done. It was so heartwarming. And also the, the thing that he says, he says, I'm afraid I'm about to go wandering off trail. I thought that was just... Yeah such a nice touch and with him just watching the 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 sunrise and you know you can see him dying he's struggling he's in pain but still it's such a i don't know such a serene moment i really love that and of course this is the highly highly idealized depiction of how somebody with a you know deathly stab wound would likely go um but i really appreciate appreciated it nonetheless and i just thought it was a bit of a weird trade-off probably for the Harfoots because, you know, in order to say, save this stranger whom up until recently they thought was this huge peril, they sacrificed their own leader. I think Sadok's position within that community is that of a leader. So, yeah, that was quite a, you know, hefty price to pay to help a, help out a, a guy in weird ropes. Especially because so, yeah. he ends up leaving the, the place. Yeah, well, yeah. Ryan Kwan says Boromir's death was much more sweet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just because uh, we were really happy that he died, and for Sadok, we weren't that happy that he yeah. died. Ooh. I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm oh sorry. <laughs> I think the melon had lost that immediately. That is, without a shadow of a doubt, my favorite scene from all three of the Peter Jackson movies. It's just, um, it's incredibly well done. It's beautiful, and Boromir is my favorite character from The Lord of the Rings. So, um, wow. Uh, I think it's amazing that scene, and I absolutely lo- adore Barmer, and I will fight you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just my list of enemies, you know, is starting to grow long. Now, now you just have to tell me that you really like the dwarves as well, and you know. Oh, we also yeah, got a nice comment here that uh, <laughs> uh, we got a nice comment here that this is the first Hobbit killed on screen, first Hobbit killed on screen ever. So I Ooh, didn't really no. think about that, but that is uh, notable. First of many, I hope. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I like I do Hashtag like the Hobbit Holocaust. Holocaust. <laughs> well, and yeah, that was one of the theories that they will end like in the early uh, oh, wow. of, the, of the season. That was like a lot of people speculating they will end up dying a very bad, massive death in, at the hands of mystics. Thankfully, that didn't happen. Mm. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, and in terms of the fate of the rest of the Harfoots, you know, Nori goes off trail with the stranger and goes on this adventure. Uh, Poppy is left behind kind of in a leadership role now, or at least we get the, it seems implied that she'll take on that role as the the trail finder. Mm -hmm. Do you think that we are going to see the Poppy and the primary group of Harfoots in season two? I think we'll eventually, like, if Nori has a happy Mm -hmm. ending, she'll be reunified with her caravan. I think that'll happen, but that will be, you know, it, that could be just kind of like the final scene, the happy ending, uh, but we don't get the Harfoot caravan as an actual participating part of the plot in future seasons. Or do you think that we will see them? That we'll see Poppy's story go on um, and that they'll have adventures along the way. Strider, just, how about you? 
just one second. So, uh, Yona in the chat said that Smeagol killed the Hobbit. So, he, he, he killed Deagle. So, we kind of saw a Hobbit mm, die. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Good point. But maybe Smeagol. the first time, you know, it's still the first time that's not <laughs> Hobbit on Hobbit violence. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. So, I, that's a good question. That's I honestly, true. I'm very... I think we may actually see them, but I think I think they will not have um, such a big role because I think that eventually at least some of the hobbits at some point will end up that that's just my theory it's based on nothing specific but you know the hobbits do settle at some point so I expect that we will see some hobbits settling somewhere and I think because it is the second age I think they will do the setup for actually the the hobbit in question the smeagol and, and his his uh, tribe that they dwelled around uh, the river anduin so i think we may see them you know wandering around as well and maybe that uh, idea of them settling down somewhere will start showing up especially because perhaps now that uh, sandok is gone perhaps they will that will push them maybe you know, after generations and generations, I guess, of wandering around to maybe think about settling. So I think we will not see them definitely uh, mm -hmm. as much as we saw them in this season. But I think we may see them a few times. But I wouldn't be surprised if we skip them this season and they come back. Like, I'm sure they will come back at some point. So perhaps maybe not in this season, but maybe season three. We yeah, could unless, just have Poppy give us the song every every few episodes or so. I think that would be yeah. that would be lovely. <laughs> yeah, I I would miss Poppy's singing definitely if she, if she never returned. Well, boys, how about you? Um, and let's also get a poll in the chat. Do you think we're going to see uh, Poppy and the rest of the Harfoots in a future season? And uh, I, I want to hear your opinion on that. And also, do would you like to see them? Because some you know the Harfoots are not everybody's in terms of the plot line are you happy to see them go if they're if they're gonna go do you want them out or did you enjoy that plot line would you like to see more of it no i mean as much as i've enjoyed a lot of the heartfelt scenes with the harfoots um every time we got scenes with them it kind of took away from the more canonical well arguably canonical storylines <laughs> that are going on like with all the scenes in numenor and uh, anything that we're going to see in Eregion or the Dwarves or, you know, any of those like big, fascinating sets. I hated getting pulled away to watch the Harfoots for five or ten minutes talking about wandering away. Um, as for next season, I don't know if they will show Poppy and the caravan group for... I, I, they definitely won't show them in every episode. I hope not, because I hope they don't make two Harfoot storylines, because that will be... <laughs> really frustrating um i think that maybe they could have her show up once in one scene near the end of season two or maybe they might just do a thing like that they did with game of thrones where they cut brand's storyline all together for a whole season and then they mm -hmm. reintroduce them again the following season so maybe nori will rejoin the caravan and that's how we'll get to see poppy again but I don't think so. I think they took Poppy's the only main character in that group, and I think Amazon won't mind sacrificing that one character for at least a season. Yeah, but we will miss her singing if that's one thing, because I definitely <laughs> think we all we can all agree that uh, the I didn't expect to get like so attached emotionally. I think to mm -hmm. the Harfoots, and I think even coming up to the to the last episode, 
I didn't think I was at all attached to them. And then suddenly hmm. when we get that goodbye scene towards the end of this, uh, this episode, I really felt a bit of an emotional, you know, tug on the heartstrings, that kind of a thing. And I also felt that as well during the, the traveling song or the wandering song. And so those were two of the big heartfelt moments of the season for me that I think, and I was surprised myself that I felt that from the heart storylines Um the other heartfelt moments, of course, being uh, uh, Duran and Elrond's little uh, love story between the two of them, which was really, really good, great as well. But um, I also agree. I think it's very probable that we won't come back to the caravan at all in season two. We will just follow Nori's storyline with the stranger. So uh, with yeah, with well Gandalf, and uh, then we'll um, maybe come back to them when they finally get reunited in a possible further season, like three or four. One thing that would be lost if we didn't get to see any more of Poppy and the main caravan is, you know, one thing, the Harfoots did ground the story. They're the most grounded characters. Every other major character, they're, you know, Galadriel, uh, you know, one of the el eldest and fairest of the Noldor, King Gilgalad, Elrond, um, Celebrimbor. These are elf lords. We get Prince Durin, King Durin, Princess Diza. You know, we're talking, everybody's royalty. Mm -hmm. The stranger is an Astari. So everybody is really at the top upper tier of of middle earth uh and the harfoots are the only ones that are kind of, kind of representing the common perspective the average joe um which is a really important aspect of the lord of the rings not so much the silmarillion uh, but they brought that grounding of, they had a grounding effect on the story and if they completely do away with that i wonder if they will try to replace them with someone else just who's kind of part of a more grounded part of the world um or if They'll just lean into, all right, we're talking about the royalty here, the really power players, and that's where the story's going to focus. But Kitty, what do you think? Um, I actually, to, to go back to the previous question, I don't think they'll mm -hmm. be missing entirely from season two. Um, while I do agree that they're not necessarily main characters, they were still, three of them were parts of the hand poster thing, you know? Um, so I do think they're considered quite important and especially Poppy. I mean, she was given a lot of screen time um, and I expected her to be going off with, with Nori. Given that that didn't happen, I think the reason for that is that they have some sort of a storyline planned for her within the community. So, yeah, I think we'll be seeing them probably a lot less than we did this season and i hope it's gonna be a little less because you know now we're, we're having the the harford storyline split in two so if they each had very very important plot lines that would be like half all the all the runtime which i don't think would make many people happy um but yeah as to your second question i don't see them being replaced by an, an entirely new set of characters that are there to represent the you know the common people's perspective I don't see that happening. I think the world will get larger, but I think um, it will mostly be filled with new companions for existing characters and not necessarily give us new, entire new storylines, entire new perspectives, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Well, is there anything that anyone wants to say about the strangers, uh, the stranger or the mystics or the Harfoots? before we move on to our other main storyline, which is Halbrand, Sauron, and Celebrimbor. I'll quote our, our friend Hen. <laughs> Please don't be Gandalf. <laughs> 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 and, and, and just to be clear, I, I will not mind it because 
whoever this character ends up being, uh, Daniel Wayman, he mm-hmm. absolutely ate and annihilated this role. Like he, yeah. he, he was mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. So whatever happens, I don't like. I, I think I'm going to be happy whether he's whichever one of these star star he is. I'll I'll be up for it. But I hope it's just going to be more interesting for everyone if it's one of the Blue Wizards. So that's that's all. To, to my surprise, I totally agree with you um, in terms of being like I was not down for the stranger being Gandalf. I didn't want that. I mean, I still kind of don't want that. But Daniel Wayman is just so good and so compelling, uh, even though he's had basically no dialogue. He's really just crushed this role. Mm-hmm. And I continue to feel that after the end of this episode where he did get a little more dialogue and we hear him talk and just his voice and the way he delivered lines. It was it was short. It was just a nugget, but so, so good. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of him, whoever mm-hmm. he is. Yeah, I agree. And I think he's I think this was one of the strongest um, suits of this show in general uh, were the relationships, the friendships. And I think um, Nori's friendship with the stranger was absolutely amazing. Uh, also her relationship with Poppy as well. Um, but yeah, I hope I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to their, you know, um, road road movie story going on. So, yeah. Okay, the kind of a fun question. Uh, is, I, sh- I shouldn't be wasting time on this, but why on earth? What on earth is Nori going to do for the stranger? The stranger now knows he, like, he's got in control of his powers. He kind of knows who he is, not like fully, but like enough. What can Nori do for him that he can't do for himself, other than die? Because she's going to be in danger. Like he's having, he's bringing her along to be in danger. I mean, the the one thing hobbits can do is they can sneak around, you know. So. I, I can see them. They'll probably play up a bit also as I guess them being like father and uh, father and daughter probably as well. But yeah, I agree. Like when, <laughs> when, when when there's like action happening, it's going to be very interesting how they will handle this because I obviously she's going to be in a lot of danger because she's not a warrior. So all she can do is sneak around. So that's why I think it's not going to be that action heavy that storyline. Until like whatever the culmination combination is going to be at the end of the season, she'll be the baby Yoda to his man, though. <laughs> and also, yeah. she can she can help him uh, uh, gather like berries and stuff because she's really tiny. So that's well. The... He, he may still need her help for just basic day to day skills in terms of like cooking and gathering food, you know, because he is still mm-hmm. pretty fresh from Valinor. Maybe he just doesn't know some of the basics, and he's still walking around in that disgusting robe, that, like <laughs> that he she gave him in the first episode. But oh, also, guys. you know, she's yeah, she's yep. j- j- thank you. Uh, she's you know she's a traveler. She knows how 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 that goes. I mean, she's used to traveling with a with a whole band of people, but you know she knows the road. She knows where to find food. She knows how to find the trails, presumably. So, I think she's quite an experienced traveling companion. The ghost of uh, Baba yeah. Novak says it will be a love story. I hope not. Uh. I, no, man, no, no, no. Why would you say that? <laughs> Strider, um, go ahead. So yeah, I I think yeah, it's it's a great point. She will. She's she's an experienced traveler and she's an experienced mortal. So she will definitely help out, help out in in those non-combat ways for sure. But I have a question, for, and I, I would love to hear everybody's thoughts on this. Um, he's a wizard. A wizard needs a staff. How does he get his staff? He does turns Nori into a staff. Anyone? Is that what you're suggesting? <laughs> no, 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 no. Please, no. no just like, 
what, what's gonna you know does anybody have any idea how does the wizard get the staff <laughs> no that's that's a good question I, I don't have any ideas but i suspect that that will be something that will happen over the course of season two for sure mm-hmm. yeah what about our two guests do you guys have any could you you know brainstorm something on, on the spot about about how wizard gets his stuff is that is that the question yeah 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 exactly like he's gonna have to get the stuff i mean i think point. i think gandalf made his own stuff at one point in in the in the in, in the lord of the rings did he not because uh, obviously we know that we see a couple of times in the movies at least that he uh he gets his stuff um he loses his stuff in moria then uh, I know that in the movies he gets his staff taken off him uh, at Isengard when he gets captured. But in the books, there's no mention of whether or not he actually uh, has his staff removed from him or not. It just says something very simple like um, he was taken to the pinnacle of Orthanc, but we don't actually get to know whether or not he uh, kept his staff or not. I think I'm pretty sure I've, I have some memories of him making his own staff uh, after he lost it in Moria, if I'm not mistaken there. So Maybe wizards have this ability to make their own staffs. I'm not sure if they need to get them uh, gifted to them by um, factory made. Yeah, uh, <laughs> go to go to Amazon and get it like you know yeah. Amazon Prime delivered. Uh, huh. Product placement right there. <laughs> exactly. There you yeah. go. Sent to you by a meteor. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll see a a bunch of scenes, long series of scenes of of the stranger just whittling. Like whittling a piece of wood slowly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, well, are we ready to move on to the main event? Let's what go. this sh- episode was really about, and I know we're going to have some uh, feelings. I can already see Lakitia gearing up. <laughs> I'm just stretching. <laughs> but uh, okay, in this episode, the really truly big reveal was that Halbrand is Sauron. Uh, we get our Halbranitar scenes, um, which I'm. We're gonna make that a thing. Halbranitar. That's what I. That's oh, what I'm calling. Okay. Um, but I think we all kind of saw this coming. Uh, I'm sure it was a twist for some people, but not for us because we've been debating it literally in every single uh, epi- like stream that we've done after every single episode. So um, there was still a chance in my mind up until episode seven that he wasn't Sauron. But after episode seven and they were on their way to Eregion, I think I kind of knew, all right, it's going to be Sauron. <laughs> so what I want to get your reaction to, and not, not necessarily the fact that he is Sauron, which we've deba- debated endlessly already, but how did you like the way they revealed it? Um, you know, accepting the fact that he is Sauron, kind of, we're living in that world now. How do you like the way that they revealed it in this season finale? Um, Melonhead boys, let's go to you. Yeah, well, to be honest, for most of the season, I was kind of hoping that Halbrand wouldn't turn out to be Sauron at all. But the way that they actually did the whole unveiling of him and the fact that there isn't an Anatar character or he didn't call himself Anatar when he was in Eregion, just when we when we realized that, OK, Halbrand is Sauron this whole time, I just kind of had to go with it and roll with it. But I just thought the actual reveal itself was was really well done. The way that he almost incepted himself into Gladriel's mind. And it was very reminiscent of that scene where Frodo falls down in the in, in the Peter Jackson films and he lands in like a, a bed of or a field of flowers and stuff. That was very similar to how Galadriel fell down and she kind of felt like she was trapped within her own mind. She was talking to her brother, but that was just really Sauron speaking to her in her own mind and it was 
really well done and the whole raft scene as well the way the camera changed and mm. showed the two of them in the water the reflection and uh, i think that calls back to episode one as well when they talk about the the water and you know how do you know the difference between the light and the dark and touching the dark and i don't know there, there was lots of really cool themes and um yeah i thought the Halbrand as well. He just never seemed like a Sauron. He never seemed scary. But this scene made me terrified of him when he's screaming at Galadriel. And what does he scream? Look at me. And then his eyes mm -hmm. change to the little slit cat eyes. Um, yeah, I thought it was really well done. And I think myself and Johnny might have looked at each other at the end of the episode. And we were mm -hmm. like, right, a lot of things didn't go to plan in our mind. But the way it was all done... I was happy with it, including the Gandalf thing as well. If the stranger does end up being Gandalf, that was one thing I said I absolutely don't want. But when he did say at the end, always follow your nose, um, I was like, go on, Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, all in all, I really enjoyed the way they finally, I thought it was going to be very hard to do because Hal Brown, he was showing tiny little bits of Sauron, but like not enough. And this episode you really get to see how evil he is at heart and yeah i love it yeah i think i would have been really shocked if halbrand turned out not to be sauron i was um i was quite convinced from the moment he set foot in numenor and i think that when it came to this final episode if he if if they had turned around and it wasn't him I think it would have been so strange that they had invested so much time in this season to make us think mm -hmm. that he was Sauron. So I think it wouldn't have made any sense to me uh, for it to be anybody else but Halbrand. Um, and this this scene that you've just uh, frozen on here, I really love that shot because it also, that's not Galadriel's actual posture when you see her in real life. That's a different posture that he's showing her. Look at you, you'll shoulders back, hair blowing in the wind. You'll be this kind of uh, godly queen of men. So I really liked Halbrand's, um, I liked the reveal. I liked the way it was done. Not sure how I feel again about the decision of having uh, Galadriel find out so soon, but I definitely enjoyed this the way that, I liked this sort of, three-dimensional Sauron as well that we see that we're not sure if he is actually maybe having a moment of repentance and he really thinks that you know he that Galadriel is the one that gave him the push he needed to to continue on with his plan of controlling and in his mind maybe saving Middle Earth because I think that was a really good idea to give us this type of Sauron who he doesn't from his perspective he's not evil he is trying to put order uh, in Middle Earth he's trying to save the people and the only way he can see to save people is by ruling them because he's the only one who can, in his opinion. And I think that's, I, I really like that idea and that sort of style of Sauron. And I think that's, well, that's the way it is in the books. So I, I'm glad that they went with that uh, instead of just, he's just evil and that's it. And there's nothing else. I, I enjoyed that part. And again, I just thought again, visuals in this episode, I think it was the best of the season so far with them. The way they did subtle little things with his eyes, especially in this scene here where we see him shouting we do get that one scene where his uh, the, 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 we get that close-up of his face and his teeth are a bit more pointed and uh, they've um, just you know edited his face a little bit to give him those scary features. I think just right after this, we get a, a frozen uh, image of his teeth being all pointy, which is really cool. And then also towards the end when he arrives in Mordor, um, we get his eye, the, the, the change from the, from the rings into his eye. And then we see the little slit in his eye there as well. And we see Mordor in the background. I think there's been a lot of emphasis on his eyes in this episode, which was really, really cool. 
Yeah, yeah awesome. I, I, <laughs> I definitely agree with you. You know, the decisions that they made, the in terms of the direction they wanted to go with Hal Brand, it was very well executed. You know, and we can debate whether or not you wanted Hal Brand to be Sauron or other nuances of it, uh, whether or not you agreed with that. It was very well executed, I think. Yeah, really compelling scenes between these characters. Lakitia, what did you think about the way they revealed Hal Branatar? No, I'm I'm, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm so sorry to have to be such a sourpuss after everybody's been very positive and Sauron I'm really puss. happy that you Sauron. <laughs> wow. This can go really, really wrong really quickly. Um <laughs> but yeah, um I'm really happy that everybody else got to enjoy it. I thought it was, like I said before, I thought it was super rushed. I would have much preferred it, like you guys also said, if we, as the audience, learned he was Sauron by the end of this season and then have Galadriel learn it, I don't know, a couple of episodes into the next season, that would have been, in my opinion, much nicer. I thought the whole shift from them being best friends to him starting to act very, very dodgy as soon as they got to Eregion and started sneaking around a little bit. And, you know, the uh, when he has that statement, um, thanks for all that you did for me, yada, yada, I'm never going to let anybody forget that. I mean, he gives off this, this really sort of sinister look and he makes it very clear that there's more to that than he's letting on. And I just thought it was, it could have been done much more subtly. Um, the whole little sequence montage we got with, with Finrod and everything, I felt the emotion there and I really appreciated that. And I thought that um, Will Fletcher did a really nice job portraying the this more ambiguous sort of Finrod. And I absolutely felt Galadriel's, you know, pain. She She was... She's been trying to avenge her brother for centuries upon centuries, and now she's looking at him. She's seen his face. I mean, obviously, everybody would be completely overwhelmed. Um, but even so, when when this scene ends and then he shouts at her, it's just like this typical mustache twirling villain who's just, you know, he's been decent so far, and now he's just getting batshit crazy. Pardon my French. Um it it just it felt me it it left me a little bit underwhelmed um and then on the raft it was again with all the close ups you know the wide angle close ups not my favorite thing in the world and i know these are Wayne Yip's directorial preferences and choices and another one of his choices seemed to be slow motion which he used a lot this episode again with i don't know poppy running into nori's arms and everything but for me, all, all, all these things felt very, very, I don't know, Marvel superhero-y. And I, I would wish this sort of scene would be much more emotionally loaded. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Well, thanks for bringing us down, Lakitia. <laughs> uh, <so> <laughs> I'll be here all evening. <laughs> no, uh, I, will, I, will, I, will, I will fix <laughs> Okay, because you know I, it's it's okay. Yeah. Responses to this, this of course. So Strider, where are you at? Yeah. So um, again, I'll go back to to the thing I've been saying from the start of the season. There was uh, the whole season suffers. The whole story suffers from from the syndrome of of uh, season eight of Game of Thrones, um, because in in that 
season, while some things were absolutely awful, I think that parts and it's important parts of the main beats that happened in the season eight of Game of Thrones, I don't think they were necessarily bad. I think they needed like three seasons worth of time to get there. And I think that to a lesser degree, that's the problem of this first season. We don't have enough time with everything that's happening. And I do agree that everything that happened in this last episode, it did happen too, too, too fast. The making of the rings, the switch from, as Lakita said, from BFFs to, you know, to, okay, I guess I'm going to kill you now. Um, it, it did happen very fast. I, I absolutely agree with that. And I, I hope we will have more screen time in each season from now on, or at least hopefully from season three onwards, because season two started filming. But all that said, I, for me, I really enjoyed that scene. As I said, like at the start of the of the start of at the start of our panel, this was the first episode. I just enjoyed myself without consciously being annoyed by something like I, that was just everything everything felt yeah okay that's fun i love this it's 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 either okay or really cool um and i i really enjoyed the reveal i think charlie Vickers absolutely nailed it uh, he was very charismatic throughout mm-hmm. the season uh they had mm-hmm. really good chemistry and i yeah i think it was pretty good and the most important thing we speculated like months before the show went out was to nail sauron because he had to be like he he's the main villain of the show, and you need the main villain to be the best thing about the show, basically. And this Sauron had to be manip- manipulative, charismatic, dangerous. I think whatever the story is, Charlie Wickers brought all that to the screen in in this scene. Like whether mm-hmm. it's executed well or not, or story wise, I but still I think he absolutely nailed it. And my great, perhaps my greatest worry about this show was this um, down-to-earth uh, Sauron, like the person that we will see interact in non-violent way with other people. And he did that. So for me, the reveal was really cool. Even though I definitely see the overall story problems, I absolutely loved the scene. It was really, really great. For me, I absolutely enjoyed it. And that shot in the water and everything, it was really cool. So yeah, I I loved it. Well, one thing, one choice that they made was to significantly compress the Anatar phase of Sauron. We what was in the books, you know, months or years of Sauron ingratiating himself into the political structures of Eregion and getting on Celebrimbor's good side, basically becoming one of the most important people in, among the Gwythi Myrdain, so much so that in some versions they expel Galadriel, right? Um they compress that into about 15 minutes of screen time. And this is all part and parcel with their decision to kind of compress the, the concept of fading, give it a deadline, the elves are going to die, we have to create these rings really fast. That was all kind of built in. I was expecting at the end of this season for them to reveal that Halbrand was Sauron to the audience, but that in season two, we would get a multi-episode arc of Halbrand as Sauron in Eregion, working with Celebrimbor, slowly but surely ingratiating himself and building up power. They'd be working on the lesser rings and then they'd move on to the, the other rings that become, you know, the nine rings for men, seven rings for dwarves, culminating in the uh, Celebrimbor's crafting of the three rings. 
they jump over all the other rings, the nine, the seven, the lesser rings. They go straight to the three, and that's after um, Halbrand uh, hoofs it back to Mordor, right? So my question for you is, uh, the panel, will we get more of Halbrand as Anatar? And the reason I think that's a possibility is because, A, we haven't seen the crafting of the nine or the seven, right? Those have to be made in the books. They're made by Celebrimbor in cooperation with Anatar. He's a part of that process. That's why they are so corrupt. That's the, also what distinguishes the three elven rings from those other rings is that Halbrand is, or Sauron never touched them. And a reason I think that also might be possible within the story they're telling, Galadriel has not divulged to anybody in the story that Halbrand is Sauron. That is still a secret, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elrond may have figured it out, um, but we don't know. And in any case, only Elrond has promised, really promised not to treat with him. Celebrimbor kind of promises, but you can see on his face that he's not happy about it. So I could see a future plot line where Galadriel and Elrond, Elrond goes back to Linden. Galadriel goes off to do whatever she's doing, maybe hanging out with uh, Celeborn somewhere. And then Hal Branatar comes on back, sweeps in and charms the pants off of Celebrimbor and they continue <laughs> their work together and nobody knows about it for a good long while. Um, so I'm curious if we'll see more of the Anatar phase or if what we got in season in episode eight, if that's it. Lukitia, what do you think? Well, first of all, yes, I think that is extremely likely. That was my first initial reaction once I saw this episode. Was I was absolutely heartbroken because uh, Anatar in Region is the part that I was most excited to see. But then, like you said, um, Galadriel says you know, you're not to admit him if he ever comes back, something like that. And Kelly Brimber looks very, very constipated when she says that. And then th- that made me think that, okay, yeah, there, there's something, something could be there. But then also, uh, I think it was, it was uh, Patrick McKay who said, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, we have it on screen right now that, um, that the prospect of having Anatar is really exciting to them. And I think it was another interview where he did imply that we would be seeing Anatar as such, uh, in season two. So I, I think it's very, very likely that he will come back at some point. They did show him and Caleb Brimber establish this sort of a friendship. So I'm thinking if he comes back at a moment where Caleb Brimbor is perhaps doubting himself, you know, he's not doing very well with his ring craft. And then, you know, in comes Anatar offering all his shiny knowledge and everything. I could see Caleb Brimbor being swayed by him very easily. And like you guys pointed out, uh, he does not know that he's Sauron. So he just says, okay, maybe, you know, I don't know, him and Galadriel had a had a falling out. So uh, <laughs> she's just being very, very sour about the whole situation. But um, I could absolutely see him accepting him back into Eregion, yes. Johnny, what do you think? Um, I... I think, yeah, definitely a big possibility that we're going to see it. It's very strange that they jump straight to the three uh, Elven Rings and uh, they skipped over the other 16. But, um, of course, I believe that the show is called the Rings of Power. It's it's not mm-hmm. possible that they're not going to show the crafting of the other 16 rings, in my opinion. That would be kind of crazy. So they have to be done at some point. Now, I, of course, we all want to see, like Lakita said, we'd love to see Anatar in a region. I wouldn't be too bothered if we end up getting more of Halbrand in a region and he never actually takes on the name Anatar. I don't mind that idea. 
Um, of course, it would be cool just to get that like name drop of Anatar. But if, if if I never get that, I'll still I, I can understand that. I think it'll be fine. Um, I think the fact that Galadriel has kept that secret is something that can allow Halbrand to not bother shape shifting, becoming Anatar, and just remain Halbrand and go back to a region like you've you've just said a moment ago. Um, the fact that um, Elrond will be off in Linden and the others, and we could already see how. Halbrand was so easily able to kind of manipulate Keller Brimbor, just say a couple of things. The mighty Keller Brimbor, wow, you are amazing! And immediately the smile from ear to ear on Keller Brimbor's face when he was thinking, "Yeah, I'm, I am quite, I am kind of good, haven't I? I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bad at all." So uh, he was very easily manipulated. I thought in that in that way, and I thought that Halbrand did that really, really well as well. He's so, I really. I have to say that it, as when the show started out, I didn't really enjoy Charlie Vickers' performances in the first, maybe maybe just in the first episode that we get uh, introduced to him in episode two. But since then, I've really been uh, more impressed with the way he's able to seem so convincing. Um, he talks about himself in a lower position. He's always saying, you know, a, a, a person like me in this city among the elves, it's so amazing. And he's always kind of saying, you know, I'm down here, everybody else is up there. And it's just it's just these small little manipulation mm. tactics that he's using that are really really impressive, and I've really loved his performance. Um, I wanted to go back as well and just make a quick mention about how I think obviously we know that there's this time compression. We know that there's so many things that they've had to change, and that's the choice that they went for. So they're going to stick with it now. But I think they're trying to give us, as the people who know the lore, little sort of um, little clues and little pointers to say look don't worry we know the lore we know what's happening here and what i saw that mentioned where our for me i felt that when we saw that um keller Brimbor was speaking to elrond and he said we're doing something in three weeks which is supposed to which we could do in three centuries which mm -hmm. was 300 years was how long it took them to prepare for build for for creating these um these rings so i think that little mention of 300 yeah. years exactly was is is quite an important thing i think that would, for me as someone who really appreciates that you know the chronology of things uh i felt okay i don't agree with what they've done but at least they're kind of they're saying to me don't worry we we understand you sort of that's how what i felt from it but um yeah, I I don't know. I'm excited to see how they do it. And I think, well, I don't know. I'm going to just say I, I trust that they have some sort of plan in place of how they're going to do this. But of course, I was kind of taken aback with the uh, swiftness of how they suddenly had created the three rings and uh, yeah, everything. That was definitely the, the thing that really threw me off kilter in this episode. But yeah, I think it's quite good. And Dave, I want to hear your thoughts as well. But we also got a great question in the chat that's kind of related that you can address from um, Gilmanor Estelle. What would be the motivation for Caleb Brimbor to create the 16 rings? He already seems to have accomplished the goal of saving the elves. And that's a good point within the context of the show. The purpose of creating the three rings is to save the elves from fading. Um, and presumably they have now accomplished that. Uh, although I guess they haven't put it to the test. But if they have saved themselves, why continue to make more and more rings? Also rings of lesser power. Um, so how would that work if... if how Branatar does exist if he comes back and starts working with Caleb Brimbor. Um, you know, is that possible? And also, why would they keep making rings when they've already done what they set out to do? Um, well, I think we could see um, Caleb Brimbor in this episode, how not only naive he is, but how obsessed he is with his little hobby of making shiny things. And 
I think he's just going to he's going to be depressed in season two that he's got nothing left to do. And we saw how excited he was about building the forge and, you know, doing all this, that and the other. And maybe the showrunners will have some other plot device for season two where, oh, no, suddenly we need more rings. Um, I'm not really sure exactly how they'll get around it, but I'm I'm sure they're going to make up some. I want to say the BS reason for for creating the other rings. But um, as far as Charlie Vickers coming back next season to be Anatar or Halbrand, I think we're probably going to see a secret friendship between Celebrimbor and Halbrand. But I do think it's it would be very bold of Halbrand to assume that Galadriel hasn't told anyone about mm. him being Sauron because... Why did he gallop straight out of Aregion to Mordor? It does seem like he is going there to set up shop and begin forging his one ring. So I, we could see in this episode and episodes previously that the showrunners are massively changing the lore in some parts. And I'm kind of terrified that they might do something as bold as to not have the other rings. What about if they had just Sauron going back to Mordor and have him create all the rings as well? I they thought could. that that could be another yeah. idea that these showrunners might go with because if you've just seen the movies uh, a couple of times, you haven't read the lore. At the beginning That's of the true. first movie, Galadriel in the prologue says that Sauron gave to them. You know, she just says that Sauron was the one that gave these these rings. She doesn't mention anything about it being Celebrimbor who created the rings. So the casual viewer will think they were all, all the rings were made by Sauron. And then he made his one master ring, which was uh, the, the, the the biggest and the most powerful one. So I think as a casual viewer, you would, you would accept, Oh, well, I'm sure Sauron just made all the rings himself. So that's another angle that they could go down. Um, but I think that would be disappointing for us not to see Celebrimbor in his workshop again. The rings are so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That, that's I think one thing that be... they executed really well. Mm -hmm. The look of the the forging actual actual forging sequences and the beauty of the rings, just chef's kiss on that. Makita, mm -hmm. go ahead. I just wanted to say that yeah, this I I consider that as well. Maybe he's just gonna make all the the other rings by himself, but I think that would be a little bit like Lester because you know just have him be there in in Mount Doom talking to himself making the rings. I don't think that's particularly compelling TV. So. Especially given given all that we've said before and with the showrunners hinting at what they did, I do think he'll be coming back to Eregion to make the rest of them. I don't know why. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he'll want some of some mithril. He'll think that maybe they have some left. I don't know, whatever. But I think they'll they'll find a reason to have him go back. At least I maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part, because I want more Anatar in Eregion and I will not take no for an answer. Um, but yeah, that's what I choose to believe right now. I do think that they're not going to have Halbrand shapeshift into another character because I think that they're going to have Charlie Vickers signed on for five seasons, unfortunately. I would have loved to have seen some shapeshifting abilities, but uh, yeah, I really don't think that's going to happen. Definitely not. Like Halbrand's going to be there in season two, no shadow of a doubt. So, And hmm. Nick Corbin says in the chat, I just saw something where Charlie Vickers says he's coming back. Yeah, he's filming already, I think, he said in interviews. And I uh, I just want to say, because I know that you guys already mentioned that before, but I personally, I love Charlie Vickers from the moment he appeared on screen. And I didn't even realize it until now. 
Uh, but going back through all the, the episodes he appears in, I, I think he gave a really compelling performance throughout. He was very charming. He was mm -hmm. very roguish at the same time. Uh, you could see him being a bit dodgy, but you could also see why Galadriel would trust him. So I think he embodied all those nuances very well. And yeah, all mm -hmm. in all, I'm very happy with the performance, I must say. Strider, what do you think about the potential for a future continued Anatar plotline? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> so ju just uh, one, it's connected to that, but just one mention, uh, Ryan Kwan in, at some point in the, in the chat said that, and it's a very good point that people tend to forget that it's not explicitly said that uh, Anatar looked like an elf, so <laughs> he was supposed to be an emissary of the Valar or some sort of like that type of creature, uh, person, whatever. But, you know, it's interesting because uh, even the Istar or this, the, the Istari, they are men. Like, they're always not men, but they're given the bodies of men. They don't look like elves. So Sauron being, looking like one of the race of men is definitely not uh, canon-breaking in any way. Um, so, yeah, basically what you said uh, as the setup for this question was 10 out of 10, what I was thinking. I, like, 100% think the same thing. Um, he, so Galadriel, I think she will, her focus will be Caliborn in this next season. I think that's why they teased him and I think he will show up next season. Um, perhaps they will go to Lothorian. That's, that's one option. Perhaps he was there doing whatever. Um, who knows? But, uh, I think she will not be in a region or at least not as much. Uh, and it's interesting to speculate what uh, what Elrond will be about. But uh, those are the two characters that I think are those, the only two who actually think, uh, know, uh, know or suspect that Harmony is Sauron. So by removing them from Eregion, and you guys already mentioned <laughs> Celebrimbor and, and how uh, eager he might be to work with Halbrand again, I one, I'm, I'm convinced that we are getting Halbrand back in a region in the next season, I am sure they will work on the rings. They did twist, like they did, like they did the three element rings before the rest of the rings. But you know, um, one thing that's really cool about Tolkien's works, and we often forget it. Like I often, I, I just because of Reddit, sometimes uh, reminds me of this. Um, you know, the the books that we read are supposed to be the translations that Tolkien did of the books that the Hobbits wrote down and you know tra translating a historical overview of hundreds of years of events from thousands of years ago uh, you know there's a lot of room for tiny changes in like the succession the not the succession was the word like the sequence the sequence of events that can come to the same point, even though those tiny steps may happen like this instead of like this and so on. So it's not a huge problem for me that they made first the other rings, as long as he didn't actively participate in making them, that's all good, and he didn't. So I think he will come back in uh, to Eregion in the next season. We will see more of them um, right after the finale, uh, drop. There was a, there was an interview with Charlie Vickers where he is talking about those things. Like Kyle uh, already had some, some of the quotes there. So 
I'm yeah, I'm totally on board. I, I think he will be there in, in season two. And I cannot wait to see more of him. And I think we will see Anatar, maybe not named, but we will see Anatar practically, even though he will he may be called Halbrand. Uh, we will see him in 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 the in second season, and perhaps he will be called Anatar when he starts going around uh, giving the rings to, you know, to men and dwarves. It may be that we never hear the actual words Anatar, but if we do, I would suspect that, that is a name that is given to him by others. Uh, we did see a nod to it. You know, Anatar means mm. Lord of Gifts, and he did say in that first exchange with Kilabrimbor consider it a gift so that to me was like all right that's that's what we're going to get of anatar and if it continues you know giving gifts someone may say thank you anatar kind of like as a a, a title not really a name um but i do want to pivot sorry, I, I could see calabrimbor even naming him at some point like that yeah mm -hmm. yeah because calabrimbor just loves the crap out of hellbrand you can just tell um <laughs> <laughs> i mean who doesn't he's a charming handsome mm. fella you know we did get i mean you know this was sexy Sauron for a few minutes on screen. I mean, Halbrand was just strutting around full of confidence, you know, all kinds of swagger, you know, I, I, I think we got some sex, some sexy Sauron here on screen, yes. but mm. I, I do want to talk about Galadriel in a second, but I have one more question about Halbrand and Sauron. That's just been bugging me. And I really want someone on the panel to help me. Typically when there's a big reveal like this, when the identity of a major character is revealed, you get some information that kind of reframes the scenes you've seen before uh, to explain why X, Y, and Z action from the prior episodes is consistent with them now being the evil villain, right? And this is what I always struggled with, with Halbrand supposedly potentially being Sauron the whole time, is a lot of his scenes, his behavior did seem inconsistent with him being Sauron. And they didn't do that. They didn't explain why he was on the raft. They didn't explain why he wanted to go to Numenor. Um, they didn't make clear was it all part of like three-dimensional chess and this was all a master plan and if so how did that plan work exactly um, or was he truly seeking redemption um, and if so why was he on that raft there's still a lot of question marks for me even after the reveal I don't fully understand what Halbrand slash Sauron was doing this whole season um, and maybe I missed some stuff maybe it's all there but I want someone to explain it to me on this panel so I can kind of get behind what they did with like more fully behind what they did with uh, Halbrand in this, in this series. So I'm going to not pick Lakitia cause I know she's not going to have anything good to say <laughs> about this decision um, to start, right? Because uh, you didn't like this choice, but um, let, let's start with Strider. Uh, yeah. So I, I think one, one really important thing about the show um, again, I, I just, realized it like two days ago or something because somebody read it said it and i was like ah oh, yeah okay actually, actually that makes a lot of sense um the showrunners got the green light for five seasons like and that's uh that's a very interesting position to start off a series this huge um i'm not going to go into the fact that i don't agree with just having five seasons i think they need way more but still the thing is that they got the promise of, okay, we will give you five seasons to tell a story that you want to tell. And Sorry, I didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what I was saying in my question. Sorry. <laughs> Don't say her name. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> so anyway, uh, they have the luxury of waiting with the payoff for the things way longer than 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 
and showrunner for like a regular show. So I think that's the key behind the story, even though I, I think it will always be convoluted because of the fact that, you know, they meet randomly in the middle of the sea and all that. But I think the fact that he was on the raft or and on a ship and then on a raft, uh, it, I think it will make sense. And uh, as uh, Ryan Quans again said in the comment, um, he, uh, Charlie Vickers did say in that interview that dropped right after the finale that uh, a lot of things will be explained in season two. So I don't think we actually have a, an mm -hmm. actual explanation at this point, but I think we will get it. And I just, I just want to say one more time. So I think it's very important to bear in mind that the showrunners have a very interesting and unusual position in, compared to like almost every other show ever that they know that they will have five years to tell stories, uh, which gives them the chance to give us payoff two seasons in the future. Whether that's good for like this type of medium remains to be seen because again, it's unusual, but I think it's something to, to bear in mind and hopefully that we will get like a nice reasonable explanation. Well, some of the information you just gave me, the interview with the showrunners and with Charlie Vickers, mm -hmm. it does sound like they are embracing the idea that, okay, he really was truly repentant or exploring repentance, a version of repentance. And uh, it's only at the end that he kind of starts to re-embrace his, I don't know, evil nature. Um, and that it wasn't part of some master plan to acquire the mm -hmm. power he needed to, to heal Middle-earth, right? Lakitia, do you, do you agree? Is that what was going on in this season? I don't know. I, I find it really interesting that they're saying flat out that this is supposed to be his period of repentance. I mean, we know from the Lord that, yes, at the beginning of the Second Age and after the fall of Morgoth and everything, Sauron was trying to establish order and, you know, try and do good. Um, and I am a little bit disappointed that they're just flat out cutting all the potential gray areas and explanations that we can come up with on our own by stating flat out that this was you know he's he met his actual repentant um but yeah i'm i don't know as far as his whole the 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 purpose of his plot line in season one goes i'm kind of afraid that the main purpose of him being in numenor etc was just to get him you know on galadriel's path um, I really doubt that we'll ever get explanations for why he was on that raft, what was going on before Galadriel came upon them. Um, but if there is any sort of possible explanation there to be found is that I think he would, would have been curious about Numenor. He wanted to see their civilization. He wanted to learn from them. Uh, as we see, right, as he gets to Numenor, he, you know, he has his eyes set on the forge and he wants to learn their craft, etc. So I don't know. I think that's that's the way they wanted to go with him. Uh, but mostly I think the purpose was, yes, to show his relationship with Galadriel and then to have us wonder well, what she going to choose, even though we didn't have to wonder for very long. But yeah. So, um, Dave, if if this is a truly repentant Sauron arc and I actually really like that I, I much prefer it that they're exploring that this phase uh, you know early second age Sauron and that his motives are ostensibly somewhat good you know he wants to heal the wounds of Middle Earth but you know his his nature is to dominate and to do things through domination so over time that 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 positive goal is corrupted and he you know he becomes the Sauron we know in the third age I really like exploring that 
Um, if that's what was going on here, do you think there was a moment we can pinpoint in the series when he he kind of flips when he switches to the kind of well, I, I think it's relatively clear at the end he is he's bad boy Sauron now, right? I mean, he's like very happily going back to Mountain Doom. He's going to bathe in fire. He's he's all about that, you know, wearing black. He's got the dark image going on. Um, at what point did that switch get flipped in Halbrand slash Sauron? Um, well, I think just the whole his whole relationship with Galadriel made like it's not a random relationship. We see at the end that he actually finds that together they could rule the this Middle Earth, and uh, I think just the fact that they got on so well together, and we see in that is it episode six when they have the big fight and they share a moment in the forest and a lot of people were freaked out thinking that this was kind of a love connection, but this was more of a, this is fate and we were meant to find each other and we are better than everyone else. And maybe we can start to dominate middle earth. Well, that's what was going through Sauron's head. Anyways, I don't think that was going through Galadriel's head. (laughs) I don't know what Galadriel was thinking, (laughs) but um, yeah, at the point, I'm not really sure where he suddenly flipped. I think it's around that episode and, Obviously, Mount Doom erupting. Was that like something that changed within his heart? Um, also, his whatever his past is with Adar, I think that's very interesting as well. And we're going to see what that is all about in season two because he, he seemed really hateful of Adar and he didn't really show that too many signs of pure hatred and malice before. So Maybe it's the fact that he just, he's, I don't know. I, I wasn't a big fan of how he's in his repentance phase. I wanted him to be a master manipulator, you know, chessboard player moving all the pieces. And it just kind of seems like everything was a bit random. Mm. Uh, so I wasn't a big fan of that. But hopefully in season two, they go back and show why he's on the raft, why he made that decision in Numenor to suddenly leave Numenor. Um, that was another thing that switched in his head when he really wanted to stay, and then Gladiator was like, "No, come on, let's let's go to Middle Earth." Mm. And um, we've talked about it before in our podcast, myself and Johnny. That scene where he has his little bag sigil purse thing, and he throws it down, and then he goes and picks it up again. But this wasn't in front of any other character, so we were saying, "Why would he do this? He's not trying to manip- manipulate anyone other than the audience." So yeah. That was kind of confusing for us, but I suppose if he really was confused and he he decided, actually, no, I will go back. And well, he obviously had a plan because he had a plan to rule Mordor because he did get this little sigil thing from, from a dead person thousands of years ago. So there was some plan. And well, he, I think he doubted himself. Then. He doubted himself. And then he threw it down and then Galadriel convinced him to. For me, that was the moment I remember definitely seeing that scene where he, because uh, at that moment I was saying that's Sauron 100%. And when I saw him like leaving down his sigil and the camera zooms in on it and then he runs back and grabs it, as, as Dave was saying, it's only for the benefit of the viewers. There was no manipulating Galadriel in that scene. So um, I think he really was actually having, uh, he was like second guessing himself and he was a, uh, you know, doubting his own, um, well, not his own ambition, but his own maybe ability to pull off this master plan. And for me, in my opinion, he definitely 
I don't think we're seeing a, a masterful, um, like you said, chess master uh, Sauron here. I think we're seeing opportunist Sauron, who's basically just floating around uh, on a raft. Uh, and he's just, he, like we can see he's clearly highly intelligent. He really knows how to manipulate people. He knows how to get what he wants. But I think he's just faster and quicker than everybody else around him. So he sees the scenario and he's able to work out how to get what he wants out of that scenario before everyone else does. And I think, again, we see that in the final episode where he didn't seem to have this big master plan to make rings. It was just, first of all, it was like, oh, we're going to make something circular. It's going to be a crown. And suddenly it's a ring. And now suddenly, oh, it's look at that. It's two rings. Because he, now at that moment, he probably thinks... I can have one ring and I can give one to Galadriel and we can rule together and that'll be two rings. So I think he's just kind of, you know, making his plan on the fly and he's kind of just winging it. But he's, you know, good at that. So, I mean, it's working out pretty well for him so far. But um, also when he's on the raft with Galadriel, we see him saving Galadriel initially. And again, that's another thing that might throw you off the whole evil Sauron trail. And again, was it because he was you know in his moment of redemption at that time or was it because he saw power in galadriel and he you know it wasn't a accident that he ended up out, out there and maybe he wanted to try and um create this relationship with galadriel and and he said that he would she would bind him to the light and he would bind her to the power and i think that's something that he was that was his main objective i think the whole time was to help her have some power and she would give him the light and that would keep him on track with this um this big plan that he has of trying to maybe save middle earth. So, um, yeah, I think, I, I, I think I agree with Michael that I like this idea of seeing him in this phase. And I think we're definitely, we're going to see a lot of evil Sauron uh, now as the show rolls on. So I think this is the last time we're going to see any sort of, um, self-doubting Sauron. And now he's going to be full on when he arrived, uh, in, in, I nearly said Mustafar there, when he arrived <laughs> in Mordor, we saw almost like kind of Anakin arriving at Mustafar kind of thing with the, I think he was kind of still sexy sour at that point there where he had uh, oh, yeah. his 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 hood up and he was uh, arriving there into Mordor and he's like, oh, my house has been prepared here before me. So uh, he's, he was looking pretty good at that moment as well. Darth Aragorn. <laughs> Darth Aragorn. Yeah. Well, Johnny, you, you said it that we see in these later episodes that Sauron perhaps wanted Galadriel to bind him to the light. You know, even in this season finale, he's perhaps deceiving himself to some degree. Uh, and trying to hold on to this notion that he's going to heal Middle Earth, that that's his goal. Um, but the point being that the arc of Galadriel and Sauron are fully intertwined here. And if Sauron indeed, over the course of this season, you know, wanted to be good, but ends up kind of becoming bad again, um, or at least you know the veil of goodness that he was trying to cling to falls away, and his you know, inner baddie is finally revealed for sure. Um, I find it extent to which that is Galadriel's fault and I kind of want to put that to the panel and also in the chat you know basically is this all Galadriel's fault 100%. Um, because if Sauron's floating around he wants to go to Numenor Galadriel's the one it's her machination uh, machinations that she wants him to become the king of the Southland so she puts pushes him into that role which he resists it I just want to be left alone here in Numenor she pushes him to uh, you know adopt the mantle of king of the Southlands and she it's Muriel to throw the weight of the Numenorians behind him, right? So now he's got an army at his back. He's being crowned uh, king of the Southlands. He's, so he's thinking now his opportunist mind is is back in action. I'm now perhaps I can uh, take over the Southlands again and and 
be installed in some power. And now I'm buddies with Galadriel, and Galadriel is the one who brings him to Eregion. Um, and even in this final moment, when he's saying, I want to heal Middle-earth, her rejection of him, let's say that, that for redemption here. He's not fully irredeemable, even at this end, because he's still saying, I want to heal Middle-earth. That's the point of, of all of this. And I want you by my side to bind me to the light, because he recognizes that he needs that. Um, let's accept for the moment the, the possibility that he there is a possibility of redemption. She fully rejects him, which I think closes the door on that. This is like Sam um, screwing up Gollum's potential moment of, of redemption. You know, there's a glimpse that window is open and she slams it shut because she's like, there's no redemption for you of all people. I, I And he, he said, well, you, when I was Halbrand, you thought I could be redeemed. I told you I did bad things and you said it didn't matter. I can move on. And she's like, yeah, but I didn't <laughs> I didn't mean it for you. Um, <laughs> so at every turn, it really feels like Galadriel is making the wrong choice and is kind of not fully responsible. Sauron's his own person. He's responsible for his own misdeeds. But Galadriel is intimately involved with every choice that ends up going the wrong way and pushing Sauron um, or helping him arrive at this finale where he is, okay, now I'm Sauron, I'm bad again. So um, I've kind of painted a picture. Feel free to argue with me, but I've made the case for Galadriel being the, the one to blame for everything bad. Yeah, happened. that's some so, victim blaming right there. So Jesus, Lakitia, he tried as... to drown her. <laughs> he threw her in, in the water. She almost... She... She yeah, well, him first. you know, <laughs> who's the victim in that? She was situation? just having a bad day. Oh. <laughs> so look at uh, you. Yeah, defense, yeah. I think, I, no, I think this is the big irony of the. It's supposed to be the big irony of this season, um, and it turns out that like I, I know that Han has been mentioning this, but or possibly other people too. Uh, <laughs> but the um, a lot of the in in a lot of the cases the the less sympathetic characters have been right throughout this season Gilgalad who isn't painted as a particularly sympathetic character he's very haughty etc but he is right about many things he was right about Galadriel bringing about the evil uh, he was right about you know the, the fate of the elves similarly King Durin III he's also right in his insistence not to pursue mithril mining etc um, and in the case of Galadriel yeah I mean everything Gilgalad has has tried to avoid her bringing about the return of Sauron. That's why he sent her. And by sending her, he actually made sure that she did, in fact, get put on the path of Sauron himself. And in the end, yes, she achieves exactly what she was fighting against. You know, she's bringing Sauron back to power. She's helping him gain uh, some strength. So... Yeah, I don't think I answered your question even remotely, <laughs> but that's all I've got right now. <laughs> Strider, what do you think? Um, yeah, well, I, I think they definitely uh, had a really good uh, yin and yang relationship here. Um, so Sauron was kind of moving away from the dark kind of in his twisted way he wasn't but he was thinking that he was and uh, Galadriel had a lot of darkness in her and she was moving deeper and deeper into that and the Sauron brought the dark uh, brought her out of darkness towards the light and she did the opposite and 
I mean, I definitely like the irony, the, you know, the Greek dramatic irony that Gilgalad sent her, and then by sending her, he made sure that she does what he was, but what he prophesied she would do. Mm -hmm. um, I think he was. I think he was, uh, in, in his twisted way, kind of repentant uh, at the start, and I think that the turning point for him was when he, you know, they were like, you, you need to step up as the king of the Southlands, you need to, you need to, you need to, you need to, and then he does, and then we have that scene when he grabs, we talked about it before, when he grabs the pouch and with the symbol, I think that was the moment when he was like, okay, you know what, I think I should give this another go. There's this uh, very <laughs> powerful person believing in me. There's this um, there's this crazy opportunity showing up. Like uh, as yeah. um, you guys said, like he is at this point, he is an opportunist. He's reacting because he dropped what he was doing before, um, and he's you know trying to figure out another path in his life at this point. And this sequence of events is like you know what let's give this another shot and he's doing like 180 and turning around and going back to Millard and all that and um from this point onwards because he's again back on this path of evil or like you know twisted good that he thinks is good um he will now from now on in the second season he will start moving the pieces making the plans you know with like 15 layers to them and all that so I think from the next season onwards, he will just will just see this downfall further and further. But to go back, I think she did push him in some way. But I think he would have gone there anyway because he sees himself as someone who could help save and heal Miller. But he has this tyrannic way of doing it. So I think it was just a matter of time. Like if it wasn't Galadriel, it would be somebody else. It would be his brain. Like after 300 years of doing whatever, he would just be like, you know, he would come to this point again. So I think in the end, he, he was evil because of his approach. He didn't truly repent because he thought, like, I think the, the ego, the, the pride in him, I can do this. I can fix this, what Melkor corrupted. That was the downfall. I think that's what it, it all comes down to this core trait of him being proudful of his ability and his his role and his him him being like even like some sort of messianic figure, like him he him he, him seeing himself as such. So I think while Gladriel was the catalyst now, I think he would have gone that path at some point anyway. Yeah, his path is somewhat inexorable, right? He just can't help himself. Uh, he he will inevitably, when opportunities arise, the way he will, the choices he will make, he just can't help but go in that direction. It's kind of what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. So, I do think yeah, at the David, very start of the show, yeah, no, I was, I was going to say, at the, at the start of the show, he's probably a bit more, he's not repentant, he's more doubtful. And I think mm -hmm. there's a scene where it shows him kind of clutching at the sigil on his on his chest when he's on the raft and Galadriel asks him about it so he's still you know he ha he hasn't thrown away that pouch so he still kind of believes i have this plan that that i can do uh, now i'm on this raft i don't know what's going on maybe i shouldn't m be so evil i don't really know then he meets Galadriel and then he goes to Numenor and this is 
maybe opportunistic but in a good way he's like actually this is a place where i can i can settle down i can live in uh, it's almost like a paradise i can do my own craft work here and maybe being evil is not the way forward but then unfortunately yes uh, galadriel is 100 the catalyst of change and forces him to become the king of mordor again so when he says that's specifically the one place he's sworn never to return mm-hmm. um if we believe him or not that is so yeah <laughs> but but I, but i do think it's it's kind of annoying well you guys said that you liked it but i don't love the the tragic irony of galadriel being the one to to force sauron mm. to return to mordor and you know it's, now, it's I, changing I, everything as well because now i mean according now to this this show canon for me, in my mind, Galadriel is 100% at fault, and it's completely her fault that uh, Sauron <laughs> is who he is. Yeah. And it's it's also funny because when I watched when I was watching it the first time, and we saw uh, the quote of him saying, "I'll make you a queen stronger than the foundations of the earth," and I was thinking, "Oh, that's that's funny." He's quoting what she says, and then I was like, "Wait a minute, no." Chronologically, it means mm-hmm. that in the Fellowship of the Ring, she's quoting Sauron when yeah. she says that she passed yeah. the test. And so that's kind of like really throwing a spanner in the works as well. So um, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm a little bit um, unsure. I know, I know. Well, so, I do agree with Strider that if Galadriel wasn't the one to force him to go back to to, to Middle-earth, I do think he would have gotten mm, bored eventually. Probably. Actually, he's he's in a man form. So after like 100 years, people would be like, mm. why is this guy not dying? Yeah. So I think um, he was going to have to leave Numenor even <laughs> if he did have a change of heart and became a good person um yeah he would have he would have eventually become sauron ruler of mordor but yeah galadriel was the one to make him do it a little bit earlier well and it's very notable that you know we're talking about all the choices that she made that kind of led him or contributed to him getting to this point in the season finale but in the season finale we see her make at least one other terrible choice that will allow him to work in the shadows in season two you know, and in when he's in her mind as Finrod, and Finrod says, "You don't have to tell them I'm Sauron. Just, just, just don't tell them, and let the work continue." And then, mm-hmm. you know, she rejects him in their mental battle. But then, what does she actually do? She does exactly that. She does not tell anybody that she lets the work continue. She actually encourages it to continue, and is the one who says, "Oh, we need you know three wing, three rings instead of two. Um, so now Sauron's going to be out there. And no one knows it, all because of Galadriel's choice. Uh, pro- probably for self-preservation, you know, Sauron's gotten into her head and she's worried that they will all blame her for her for her conduct. So another huge mistake by Our Lady of Light in the season finale that is going to have like major reverberations in season two and beyond, most likely. Yeah, but this is something that people have pointed out that it's quite in character for Galadriel as well. In a way, I mean, when she first arrives in Doriath and Melian asks her about, you know, the the dark situation that took place before they left Valinor, Galadriel does not tell her the truth right off the bat out of, I suppose, some sort of self-preservation as well. Uh, So I think they might have been playing with that idea a little Mm. bit here. Um, But yeah, I think it's it's sort of interesting. And I'm wondering if we'll ever get an explanation whether this was a conscious choice or no. Um, I think this this sort of manipulation could work really, really well because it was actually, you know, Finrod's face who told her to do that. So even though she consciously and logically speaking, 
she was aware that this, these are Halbrand's words, uh, but I could see how subconsciously this, this does get, you know, under your mind. And when, when the time comes, you have this sort of feeling that you, you don't have the time to rationally explain, but something keeps telling you to, you know, just keep it to yourself. It's okay. Just, you know, keep it to yourself. So, yeah. So in that way, I would see the manipulation of Halbrand being very successful here. Hmm. Yeah, I think so, uh, the, the reason is, I think it, it could also be what you just said, and it could also be uh, that uh, the fact that he kind of helped out with some tips regarding the, the, the rings and the whole concept of, of creating the rings of power, I think it could be that the she didn't want to do that because uh, she thought maybe they will maybe they would drop the whole thing and then the elves would just have to leave, and uh, them having to leave now when Sauron is confirmed to be back would be bad. Um, so I think that's maybe the reason why she decides to keep this for herself. Like that's how I would explain it. That's how I explain it to myself. Perhaps it's not true, but <laughs> it kind of closes the gaps. <laughs> I think it's well, interesting as well to see what's going to happen with Elrond as well in season two, mm -hmm. because he also does his mm -hmm. Sherlock Holmes detecting. And he I don't know how much he knows, but he knows that Halbrand isn't who he says he is. So mm -hmm. we're going to get a scene early in season two of him questioning Galadriel about what's what's going on with Halbrand. And it's going to be very interesting to see what she tells her best friend mm -hmm. and uh, maybe it, it maybe Gladriel will quickly admit to her mistakes and how Halbrand is Sauron, and maybe they'll do something very quickly at the beginning of season two. Well, and that could be the reason that you know we know in the lore that Elrond and Gilgalad rejected Anatar. That could be the explanation within the show <laughs> for why they do that because they know he's Sauron and they're not buying what he's selling anymore. You know, even if I I, I think there's a possibility that if Halbrand returns as Anatar and he tries to come in and hang out with Kilabrimbor. If Galadriel spills the beans that he is Sauron, like at some point that information gets out. I wonder if, you know, he will say, admit it to, yeah, I'm Sauron, but I am repentant. I am, I want to heal Middle Earth. And Kilabrimbor buys it, but Gilgalad and, and Elrond mm. don't. Um, mm. Because it, it is an important distinction from the way things go in the books. No one, no one knows about Sauron in the books, really. Like from the very first episode of this show, Galadriel knows about Sauron, is hunting for Sauron. She's at the very center of, of her mind and also Gilgalad's mind. Everyone knows about this potential threat of Sauron, Sauron, Sauron. In the books, that's not the case. And um, they don't really know. Um, they know that there are potentially other servants of Morgoth out there. And so when this evil force rises, Gilgalad writes a letter to Tarman Elder, Aldarian's dad from Aldarian Arrendus, and says, I think there's a... Uh, an evil force rising, maybe an old servant of, of Morgoth, but he doesn't name him as Sauron. So it's not clear. So that in the books, it creates a lot more opportunity for an Anatar figure to come in and present himself mm -hmm. and, and potentially pass um, as a benevolent character and not be suspected for being Sauron. They don't now the way they've set it up. Sauron is very much front and center. Galadriel knows Halbrand Sauron. So when he comes back, um, I think there's a possibility that they're going to actually make that information, put it out in the open and have the characters deal with it rather than keep it totally secret for an extended period of time. 
Would I think that would really take away from uh, uh, what you're su- suggesting that maybe Gilgalad and Elrond find out that he is Sauron, and then eventually their refusal to to deal with Anatar uh, could be reflected in that way when they, when they say no, like we're as you said, we're not buying what you're selling. I think that would really take away from what we see of Elrond and Gilgalad in the book, how they refuse to deal with Anatar, not because yeah. they're like you are Sauron. It, that, I mean, it was such an easy decision to make if that, if that yeah. were the point. So I think it's important for us to see that Gilgalad, he is wise, he is like uh, far-sighted, and he can sort of sense these things. Of a, uh, he could just sort of sense that Anatar was not to be trusted, and it wasn't because he knew he is the greatest evil to walk the earth after Morgoth. So I think that would really take away from his uh, judgment in that, in that point. Very good point. Yeah. Very good point. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a little Lord nugget uh, before we shift gears. So when Elrond pulls Galadriel out of the water and she demands that he give her some information to confirm his identity, because she's worried that, you know, um, Halbrand is shape-shifting again or still in her head. Um, she asks, where did we meet? And he says, you know, when I was first orphaned by the, the shores of the sea or something like that. Kind of uh, erasing, who's it, Maglor, who fostered Elrond, you know, one of the sons of Feanor, um, who abandoned Elrond and Elros in the caves. And then Maglor comes back and takes pity and on him and ends up fostering him. And actual love grew between them for a lot of years. It seems like, I was wondering in the show, why are Elrond and Galadriel so close um, they hadn't really explained that, and now that's the explanation. She's kind of taking the place of Maglor. She kind of, she kind of saved him. I don't know if she actually fostered him, but um, you know when he was first orphaned, she's the one who who saves him. So that kind of explains the significance of mm-hmm. uh, their relationship, which I thought was really interesting. I thought it was interesting from the perspective that you know he's her future son-in-law, and it does this this sort of meeting their sort of initial meeting does establish this kind of a parental figure that Galadriel initially I mean eventually becomes due to the fact that you know she's Calabrian's mother uh, so maybe that's what they were going for to, 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 to tell the audiences that no these two are not gonna be you know pairing up at any point in the future we have other plans for both of them um, I don't know that's oh, my uh... Sorry. I'm done. Yeah, uh, so I, uh, I, wanted, I wanted to say, I just, I just talked to my mom. Perhaps, first of all, I, I wish they're not, I hope they're not changing it. I just took it as they met at the time he was orphaned, but maybe he already had his, you know, new foster parents around, but he was, you know, technically an orphan because he parents, his parents weren't there and so on. I just kind of tried to go past it by the, in that way, but perhaps uh, if they're indeed taking it as, as you might propose, um, maybe they're trying to do like a spin on the fact that uh, the same thing happens to Elrond 3,000 years later because he is a foster parent to someone mm. and then his child goes with this person that he is foster parenting, so perhaps it could be something like that. Oh, that's 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 a nice catch. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, good point. Uh, well, before we move on to the Numenorians, uh, I just want to remind people that uh, if you throw us a super chat, you will be entered into a raffle to get something, a couple awesome prints from Spiros. So I just want to plug that. Um, we got probably another uh, 20 minutes or so 
for you to get your super chats in. We'll be doing the raffle at the end of the stream. So get those in. I'm not sure how many super chats we've gotten, but you probably got decent odds if you throw in a super chat now. And these are some of my absolute favorite pieces that we've raffled off so far. A lot of good stuff this whole season, but I love Spiro's work. Um, you know, if you have any small kids in the house, you'll terrify them with this painting of smog. Um, so maybe that's not what you want to go for, but there's a nice pastoral image as well that you'll be getting. So, uh, and if you zoom in there, there's a little tiny golem uh, on the path, uh, which I, I kind of like that he's in there, but, uh, so get your super chats in. Um, so something that we've done pretty much every episode, uh, since I think our episode four discussion is I like to ask people what their favorite lines were from the episode and thanks to the Katia for reminding me that we hadn't done this yet. Um, you know, Tolkien's work is a, such a pleasure to read just not because of the scope of the world or the characters and the themes. I mean, I love all of that as well, but it's, he's also a fabulous writer. His actual prose is breathtaking and I really, I really love it. And this show has at times given us some uh, dialogue that measures up, not always, but there are a lot of really high moments from time to time in the show. And so I, I would like to ask people, what were your favorite lines of dialogue from this episode and that felt the most Tolkienian and you know on the flip side if there were any that really stuck out to you as feeling wrong as not Tolkienian maybe like kind of modern and anachronistic uh, let me know those as well so Lakitia did you have any in mind yes but yet again I I don't think I've chosen some that really represent Tolkien's writing style necessarily but it was just something that made me very happy and fuzzy etc uh, so my, my favorite line this episode was uh, Norris, and she said, the world is not so white, Poppy. It's just that we're so bleeding small. I don't think, I don't think Tolkien would necessarily use this, the same phrasing, especially bleeding small. Uh, but I, I thought it was such a heartfelt moment in what was already a very heartfelt scene, and uh, I really appreciated it. So that was my favorite one. Um, as for the one that I really didn't care for much, it's again not technically the the wording itself, but mostly what it represents. And it was when Gilgalad said, uh, "You are hereby commanded to disband this city and return to Lindon immediately, all of you." I really don't like this. I don't know dictator Gilgalad who's just being very, very bossy and very haughty and just acting like a total prat. So. This line was uh, one one such example of him behaving in a in a, especially given that this this came around the time when Elrond was saying yeah so we'll have this one object and we'll place it upon your brow and you will hold the you know all the power and Gilgalad responds by behaving in a way that tells us exactly why he should not be wielding that much power so yeah that's what about Gilgalad's hilarious commentary says you are owed. Nothing. Oh. <laughs> oh. No, no. The best is where I love you that. shouldn't even be here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. he was so petty. Here. He's just, he's just. I don't know. Not he made me laugh. He made me but laugh. Did, in that, in did that you not like with with Gilgalad the fact that he was the only one that maybe this idea of creating an object mm. of power and placing yeah. it in the hands of one person? Yeah. He was the only one who said that was mm. a bad idea. Yeah, that was like that a, was a bit of a redemption of moment for him. Eh, for for I me, I put that down to almost his rejection of Anatar. I thought, okay, we're not going to get that rejection of Anatar in this. Mm -hmm. And so the scene where they brought this proposal, this idea, and suddenly uh, he refuses it, and both he and Elrond leave, and we're left seeing uh, Keller Brimbor quite disappointed, and he's you can see mm -hmm. the frustration. He wants to carry on with his plan. 
I thought this was going to be the show's version of giving us this Gilgalad and Elrond are choosing not to go down that path. So maybe that was it. But then again, I got completely uh, in the next scene. We see Elrond completely changing and saying, I really want to do the plan. Give me three months, please. So uh, maybe that doesn't make sense at all. But for me, that was in that moment. I thought, OK, well, at least we see uh, Gilgalad maybe being. I agree that maybe he's a little bit haughty and a little bit. Uh, I don't know. He seems a bit pedantic or at times in the way he sort of speaks down to people. It doesn't seem um like the most compassionate ruler, I suppose, but I definitely feel like we are seeing him to to know more than the rest of the people and to be able to see all the angles. He probably just needs to work on his decorum and he needs to be able to maybe take take some classes in how to speak and uh, encourage people around him and not make him feel so bad. But um I don't know. I'm not gonna give Kilgala classes on how to speak. Well, Elrond already wrote, wrote his speeches for him as well. So if he could know. just open his mouth a little bit more when he enunciates as <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, yeah he does oh, his, uh, people. His, his, his Snape impersonation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those, were, those were really great points. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know about Galadriel's, uh, Galadriel's, Gilgalad's um, speech capabilities, but <laughs> I, I think... I think he definitely had those, as you guys said, like he had a few petty moments again in this in this episode. But for me, it was a really cool moment when he said that that uh, they shouldn't have just one object, like they should shouldn't trust one person with such power. But my favorite line uh, was actually, or like kind of like an exchange. But, I, but actually, also like there's one particular line: the dialogue between Muriel and Elandil on the ship was really cool when uh, yeah. Elandil. You know, it seemed at, uh, in in this in the in the previous episode that he's kind of they were teasing some sort of drama and him potentially being um, tempted by Farazon perhaps in the future, like him kind of mm-hmm. moving away from being faithful and so on. But I'm glad that it didn't go away that way. It was mm-hmm. more like a temporary weakness. And we see this at his lowest point. Basically, he chooses to be faithful. And I think that was a really, really great moment for both characters. I really enjoyed that interaction. Yeah. And uh, especially the sentence, um, you know, the, how was it? It was a bit of a complex sentence. I like the, the cost can be dear, you know, like it, yeah. it's mm-hmm. hard to be faithful and the cost can be dear, but, you know, we have to hope that it will be all worth it at the end. That was the, the gist of it. So... For me, I really enjoyed this moment, and that was my favorite bit of dialogue in the, in the episode. Mm. Dave, yeah. how about you? My favorite line. Let me see. I have it in my notes here. Um, so, the part where Galadriel asks him before the big reveal, asks Halbrand, "Tell me your name," and Halbrand says, "I've been awake since before the breaking of the first silence. In that time, I've had many names, and." It wasn't just that it was a really cool and well-delivered line, but it was also the start of this whole mind trip thing Mm -hmm. and the revelation of Sauron being Sauron. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just, I really liked that line. Oh, I actually wrote down as well. It kind of calls back to the line that Galadriel said in one of the previous episodes where she says, I think it's one of the first ones, and she goes, I've been pursuing this foe since before the first sun bloodied the sky. So I just think it's really cool these two characters you know, kind of dropping the fact that they're both extremely ancient and it just adds a lot of, I don't know, it, it adds a lot to to the two characters and to this scene especially. So as for 
My least favorite line, I didn't write one down, but um, I don't know. Maybe Gandalf saying, oh, maybe Gandalf saying, I'm good. Because I kind of <laughs> wanted him to be an evil blue wizard, which would have been cool. So, But I didn't hate that line at all. I just, it just means he's going to be good. <laughs> I just want to hear him saying snails more often. Like, snails, snails, yeah. Oh, uh, me and Johnny, we kept laughing about that. Do you know the way he goes, oh, snails, yeah. And then at one point, the mystics are trying to teach him something and they, they say, oh, you've, you've had a veil. He goes, hmm, veil. And we're like, mm, snails. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be so funny if all he picked up was the word snails. Yeah. Uh, Strider, Strider, I think I skipped over your, your least favorite. Did you have a least favorite line? Uh, yeah, I, I said that. Well, not, not specifically, but uh, Gil Gala had a few of those bad lines, so I okay. guess we can go with those. But I, I don't think there was anything that I really... This like I don't remember. I, I as I said, like this was the first episode I really enjoyed myself without any actual, you know problems or like issues. So I guess I just yeah. if there was something that I didn't really like, I just zoned it out. <laughs> good, good. Uh Johnny, how about you? Best and Yeah, I I I I'd also say I don't think I actually have a worst one. There was one that I really liked. Uh, it isn't the one that I wrote down, which is the one where uh, Galadriel speaks about how um, she leapt from the boat and she had to had to swim and she had to just pray that she'd made the right decision. And then she says something to to, to Elrond where she says something like, um, "So just keep swimming or something." And it was very kind of like you know fi- finding finding Dory or finding Nemo kind of thing. And I was kind of like, "That's it. that seemed a bit off that part." I didn't write it down, but it was kind of. <laughs> It kind of took me out of it for a moment, but the one that I really liked um, was when um, Farazan was talking about the king and about the king's passing, and he says, oh, right. "He says soon he will travel that road which makes an end of every man who walks it. Black flags will fill our harbor. It will be our duty to forge for him a tomb, granting him the immortality in stone that no man, not even a king, can attain in life." And I thought that that was mm. really like really poignant and also like, I mean, I think it's, that's just a, such an important part that I think that this show is going to delve into the fact that mm-hmm. Farazan is going to become obsessed with the fact that death comes to all, uh, even to the Kings. And, but the way the scene was shot as well, there was, um, it was really beautifully done. The music was incredible. There were these swelling uh, horns and brass section that came in really soft mm-hmm. in the background with this, um, and it kind of it was very reminiscent of the kind of horns that we get in Gondor as well. So I think I mean, I mean we've seen uh, Bear McCurry talk about the deliberate linking of the Numenorian music to sound a bit like the Gondorian, but uh, eventually he's gonna he said that he's gonna have some of the instrumentation, the, the the particular instruments taken out so that they'll feel like there's something missing. But it will have that sort of mm-hmm. um, that foundation, I think. So it really gave me those chills and those feelings of hearing, uh, I don't know, just some of the scenes that we got in Minas Tirith in Peter Jackson's movies. Can I just jump in to say that I, I really like the speech and I like the scene, but I thought it was very, I don't know, I'm sorry, it's late, I don't have the words. It was very shitty of him to literally <laughs> stand in front of the bed of a dying man and be like, oh, yeah, so he's going to die soon. Like, can you, you know... <laughs> I, I didn't right, think maybe that have this discussion in another time. room <laughs> yeah <laughs> just you know I mean uh, supposedly he had a discussion with all these apprentices before they got there like what, what are they mm. even doing there so maybe save it for then 
Yeah. It's very that's a really good point. Oh, sorry, Mike. I I, I was just gonna say, like, you know, when I watched that scene at first, I was like, oh, he's like kind of he's comatose basically. So I didn't think about it. But then of course he's not fully comatose. He gets up and he talks to Yarian (laughs) and he's you know, he he's obviously loopy and out of it, but um so yeah, I didn't think about that. That is kind of uh I think he knows he's on the way out. I I don't think he's uh you know under any delusion. I mean he's probably under lots of delusions at the moment, but <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's under any illusions that he's going to uh actually live that much longer. And I think the fact that people are coming in to sketch out uh his likeness and to put his his image in stone is an honor as well that maybe um He's going to be happy to to have that honor uh, 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 afforded to him as well as one of these kings, and he knows that his image and his likeness is going to live on through the ages as well. So, I don't think an old man of his age he like he's he's not uh, he doesn't think he's a spring chicken. So, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't mind that part too much. I don't know, but given how obsessed Farazon is eventually going to be with dying, I don't think he would like anybody to remind him of you know you're about to expire. So. I just thought it was a little bit inconsiderate of him. Let's sure. put it this way. I think that's. I think we're seeing Farazan dealing with his own fear of death on camera here, mm-hmm. and I think when we see he, when the king actually does die, and we see Farazan looking down at him, and it looked in that moment like Farazan was really upset, and I was confused at first. I thought like, is he just? Is he actually sad that this king is dying? And then I think we, we I had the realization that no, he's just he is so upset to look upon death and he knows that this is not just the king that's dying, but that's eventually what's going to happen to him at some point in his future as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. Yeah, a little interesting also, now that we're harping on uh, minor details, um, it is interesting. We're we're going to carve his likeness in stone. This is a great work to honor our king. So we've got all the great stonemasons and we'd like four apprentices to try and capture his visage. Like why are apprentices yeah. part of this project at all? You know, <laughs> maybe they won a tournament to like be uh, the people picked out of a hat to come and uh, do his likeness and, and just, just sketch him. But yeah, it seems a bit strange. Well, I, I right. think it's just like, you know, giving some young talents, you know, perhaps they can, you know, they, they, they showed promise so far, even though we saw zero scenes of that. Uh, again, perhaps they had the I'm experts keep... already already do. Sorry to interrupt. Perhaps they already had the experts do their images, and now it's like, well, let's just yeah. let some apprentices into it to to see if yeah. they could have a... the best one wins. And we'll sketch <laughs> that one. Yeah, yeah but I mean, yeah. basically, it is that you know, like, even though maybe they're not the experts, they have a cool cool idea. So you know, I think obviously mm-hmm. it was a way to get their Yari in here, but you know, it it doesn't break it for me like i think it, 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 it yeah. works yeah it's one of those things I, I didn't notice these things at all when i was watching it the first time around it's just mm-hmm. fun to bring up uh when you're diving way too deep into an episode um but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> too greedily and too deep into the season finale well, johnny i'm really glad that you brought up that quote because that is the exact same quote i was going to mention uh, um and i was so relieved and this is a good segue uh by the way into the Numenorean scenes, not a major focal point of this episode, uh, really more setting the stage for season two. Um, I'm glad they included a few scenes though. Um, and I'd also like to mention, we got the call in number here across the screen. So we're going to chat about the Numenoreans a little bit. Um, but if you have a question, go ahead and call in and we'll spend some time chatting with anybody who has questions, uh, on the air. So it would be nice to get a few of those. Feel free to call that call in number is on the bottom. Um, but for the Numenoreans, I was really relieved 
to hear him talk about mortality because we haven't heard Farazone talk about that at all, all season. That is, of course, supposed to be one of the primary drivers for Farazone. One of the, you know, he, he tries to uh, sail to Valinor in order to attain uh, immortality. It's the, it's the thing that causes him to do all the great evil deeds. It's what Sauron manipulates in him. And we hadn't seen that. We've, we've seen ambition, right? We've seen pride. We've seen ambition. Um, but we haven't seen fear of death or, or any sort of relationship to mortality. Uh, but here we do, and it's sort of setting the stage for them to further explore that in season two. And, and I'm so I'm really really glad that we we saw that. We see some you know funeral type rites with the black flags being mm-hmm. um, uh, sailed everywhere on all the ships and on the all the buildings and things like that. So clearly Numenor at this point does care a lot about death because they have this obsession with you know they have funeral rites. They're going to build them a stone tomb, which we're told in the books, that's kind of a marker of, of their fall when they start building, you know, tombs, uh, kind of comparing them to the pharaohs where they're obsessed with preserving their their bodies and testate for for all time and, and monuments to their greatness. Um, they are kind of at that point, which is interesting. Um, so I, I kind of want to throw it to uh, Johnny, why don't you go again? Just talk about what we've seen with the Numenorians here. Um, not just with this scene, but you know, we also see uh, Iarian potentially is looking at a palantir, but we don't know what she sees. So again, setting up something with her arc in season two, um, we get some scenes with Muriel and uh, Elendil, who are now fully embracing the path of the faithful, but in so doing, also covenant to come back to Middle Earth with a greater army. So, mm. what's in store for the faithful and Farazon? How are they going to interact, and are they going to end up? teaming up to come back to middle earth with a great army or, or they're going to be at political odds with each other. Uh, will Muriel come back and say, I want to raise a bigger army. And Farazon says, no, I don't think so. And I'm usurping power now. Of course. I think that's going to be a really important, uh, plot point in season two. Um, but I would like to just jump on the, uh, the point of, uh, Elendil for a moment as well, where we saw him have his, uh, little moment of weakness. I think he is owed that much. <clears throat> excuse me. He's, I think he's owed to have, a moment of doubt on the day that his son has died, according to what he thinks. Um, and so when he kind of turns away from the path of the faithful for a, a couple of moments and he gets angry, I think that's completely understandable. And I was really kind of worried that they were going to leave season one with Elendil being angry with the with the elves and with the Valar and like turning away from the faithful. And then that would be something that would be resolved in season two. I'm really glad that it was just a momentary lapse and he was immediately back on the on the, the you know the straight and narrow I suppose and immediately he was back uh, being one of the faithful it was also really nice to see that moment where him and Muriel um just sort of uh acknowledge to each other that they are uh, indeed uh, mm-hmm. of the faithful and he says that his name does not only mean one who um uh, was loves, it, the loves the stars and so he was acknowledging which we got to see in episode two um or was it, sorry episode three where um she quizzes him on that and so it was nice to have that callback as well um, of course, I believe that when they get back to Numenor, they're going to try and say, okay, I know that we're coming back here with our tail between our legs. Um, our queen has lost her, her sight. Uh, we've lost lots of um, sons and daughters of Numenor. And this is um, a peoples who would not be used to this at all. They would not be used to death and especially death in foreign lands. So the people are definitely going to see this as a huge failure and to immediately turn around and say, okay, we need a bigger army and we need to go back again. And it's like, 
we don't really understand the reasons. The the people of Numenor are not not going to be too happy about that. So that's going to be interesting to see, and I think it's going to be quite easy for Farazan to be able to come in at that point and try to have a, a bit of a a coup d'état, I suppose, and <laughs> try to get people to to reject Muriel. Um, now I think uh, I'm not too sure what's going on with um, Arian. I, I'm very confused as to what her role is in all this because immediately as the season opened up i thought that she was going to be the one who kind of turned away from the path of the faithful and she was going to cause this sort of divide within the family uh, the family unit of all this family are of the faithful and suddenly muriel would turn against them i actually had this theory after a couple of seasons a couple of episodes in that muriel sorry muriel aarian a- would become a she would join farazon and then farazon's son would join the faithful and they would be in some sort of a strange relationship where they had opposing views on this but i don't know it seems like now that she's if she's actually going to go in and look at the palantir i'm assuming she's probably going to come to the same conclusion as uh, tar palantir and and muriel and realize that they need to turn away from this path so i'm not sure where they're going with this character she's a bit topsy-turvy she could see the palantir and actually choose to hide it and maybe Galadriel and, or not Galadriel, Muriel will want to kind of show the people of Numenor what she sees in the Palantir. And then <laughs> Aarian has like hidden it. Or maybe Aarian has seen something completely different mm-hmm. altogether. And this confuses her. I still think that she's going to go down a dark path. I'm hope. still hoping that she's yeah. going to be a ring wraith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I hope she has a horrible, horrible death. Wow. <laughs> oh, no. Lovely, lovely folks. <laughs> well, a horrible death in this series is probably actually the better of the two evils whereas either are you going to have a horrible death or are you going to become a ring wraith so uh, yeah <laughs> right i'd right. like to see Eternal I'd like, torment. I'd, yeah i'd like to see her be uh, become a wraith it is That'd an interesting cool. way to leave off that whole storyline of her going up to the palantir because it's it's just kind of random if they showed us her looking at the palantir and actually seeing the same vision the same vision or seeing something different that would have been very interesting but I don't know. I feel like in two years' time or three years' time, whenever this show mm. comes back, I'm gonna, I'm gonna completely forget what that storyline was all about. <laughs> yeah, I think they could have yeah. uh, ended a bit closer to the Palantir. Like she opens, and then maybe we don't see the vision, but just give us like a teaser. Sure. I think they mm. need like at least five, six more seconds of it. It really, it absolutely agree. It feels very weird to end it like that. Like we needed to see her get React. closer to it. Like react to it, that touch, like get the cover off or something like that. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. In two weeks, in two years' time, we're gonna. I think we're gonna forget about. It. I mean, we are not gonna forget about it, but like ninety-nine mm. percent people will forget about it. Right. We right. will forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to take a second here, uh, Strider. I want to hear more of your thoughts about the Numenorean scenes, but uh, I think we do have either yeah. a caller on the line or someone who left a, a voice message. Um, or both. Uh, so, Kyle, if, if someone is on the line, can you put them through or play the message that we got? Or I'm using my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if that will come through, Kyle, we'll put it up. Um, so, Strider, go ahead and give us give us your Numenorean wisdom. Yeah, I... I um... I think it's great that we are seeing the the idea of Numenorians already going into this path of immortality in stone and so on. And 
it actually made me think of the Argona, but I think that wasn't really that wasn't made by uh, that was made centuries later in honor of the of the two kings of, of Gondor of Anarionism. So there's that's an I think a nice difference compared to the Numenorians and where they eventually went uh, they, where they eventually end up. So I, I think we we are going to for a really good show in the second season regarding the Numenorians, especially now that Galadriel and Sauron are out of there. You know, Sauron will obviously, hopefully, <laughs> at least, uh, mm-hmm. come back at some point. But um, now we can really get into that. And I really want to see more of Aryan and, and, you know, Kamen. And he was randomly there, like, only on my, on my rewatch, I actually realized that in this scene where they're in the room and Farazon is talking to the apprentices, he's actually also standing there. Like, I didn't realize that on the first go. So I think that the, those two characters were really... Um, what's the word like mugged of of screen time and like of the chances to show off who they are so it's good that they gave us the sense of where Farazon is headed to mm-hmm. and especially and I really like the moment where we see him standing above like actually it's this this it's this uh, scene and you can see his he has teary eyes and is is like is he crying just because of the king. And he's uh, passing away, or is he dying because of uh, of all the men, of, of the destiny of mankind? I think it was a really nice moment. I, I think it, they handled it with care, given how much time they had to show us. Again, I really think we need more time with all the characters, with all the storylines. But I think this was a nice tease for what's going to come. I think it was a really simple and but effective moment his speech that uh, yeah you guys mentioned already maybe he just suffers from hay fever and he just got a little bit teary eyed and stuff you know <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm yeah. not actually sad about you dying king i just got something in my eyes yeah i need a sneeze yeah. That's <laughs> yeah but i think it was it was um an important choice to have a few scenes with the numenorians because i honestly felt even though i understand why they couldn't introduce anything Related to the dwarves or Elrond, uh, Elrond with the dwarves, you know, no Prince Durin stuff in this episode. Um, I didn't really realize that the last episode was the finale for the dwarvish plotline, and that it felt a little mm. funny to me. Um, and it would have felt funny if we didn't see anything from the Numenorians as well, even though these scenes really weren't about like they weren't the culmination of the dramatic arc of this season. They were about setting up next season. It was still, it was still really important. I think to have that, especially with Elendil and and Muriel, just something to kind of um, get us ready for what is, is to come. Now I think that what is to come, my theory is that when Muriel comes back, Farazone is going to fully embrace her proposal that they raise a larger army and go back to Middle Earth. I think he sees this as his ticket for building and consolidating power. I think he sees it as the tool he will use to uh, subjugate the men of Middle Earth. You know, it'll fuel his ambitions. So I don't think he's going to oppose Muriel at all, even though it might seem like politically it would make sense for him to do so. You know, we already saw him stick by her the first go round, even though it was politically would have been politically expedient to oppose her. Um, because and he gave his motivations like uh, you know ultimately i want the elves to serve me um or to serve us 
and uh, you know we want tribute from the men of Middle Earth, and I think that he's going to be fully behind that, and he's going to use those military expeditions to gather more power to himself and uh, become more and more of a despot. And I think Muriel may end up relying on him because she trusts him, but to her detriment, and that that's kind of how that arc is going to play out. But it could go either way, uh, and so I'm I'm really curious. We don't we certainly don't get anything to indicate one way or the other in this episode. We're all just sort of speculating at this point. Uh, Mike, I think we have somebody on the stream. Oh, great. All Kyle, right, yeah, you yeah. Kyle, we got a caller. Uh, hello, hi. Hello, <laughs> welcome <laughs> to Loveline. What's your question? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, thanks. Uh, big fan, uh, first time. So, our slash concern is what or when do you think we will see more stars properly? Because if we're talking about the new Minorian storyline, I do the storyline with the level at which we have established the Valar as a. And do you think they will like? Do you think like maybe they're just trying to audience uh, in season one, and we will gradually get more of that in season two or three? Like when the uh, timeline will work out. Uh, my worst fear is that they put like Sauron goes to Numenor, they mine too deep, and then like break the island or something like sidestep the uh, marching on Valinor issue entirely. So that's an interesting question, and, and you're cutting out a little bit there. But I, I think if it if I heard it right, it's you know are they going to be continuing to introduce the the Valar? Um, or are they going to be cutting that out was to kind of summarize it? Um, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And that's a really interesting point, especially given that in the scenes we got with Galadriel getting on the boat to go to Valinor, that indicated that Valinor had already been sundered from the world because we see a literal kind of magical portal open and close, uh, indicating that perhaps Valinor is no longer part of the world. And if it's not part of the world, then how can Pharaohs on sail to it? to take it over, right? Um, that's supposed to be something that happens only after the breaking of the world. Um, but so if they are treating Valinor as already outside the bounds of the world, will they, as you suggested, come up with some other excuse, some other reason for the breaking of Numenor for the Great Wave? So um, Strider, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, Nick, thank you. Thank you so much for calling us. It was a, it was a very big pleasure to have you here. Um, yeah, I, I think we were all confused with the, the approach to Valinor. It was with the literal approaching to Valinor sequence. Um, I, it was absolutely fantastic. I love the visuals. It was very mythical. It very it definitely felt like you know going into heaven or something like that. But I don't know. That's that's a really good question. Um, I would say bef before the show started, I think we we all had hopes that we would see. Um, that we would really go deep into, for example, the building of the cult of Morgoth in, in Numenor, and that we would see uh, people of Numenor moving away from the Valar to Morgoth. Um, but now I'm not sure how much time we will have to see and really go, how, how, we will, how much time we will have to go how deep into that. Um, so I'm not sure. They did mention the Valar. They, they they made references to them, but it's a really good question, and I'm not sure we will have 
I'm not sure we'll have enough time to go as deep as we would like to into this moving from the Valor towards Morgoth. I hope we do. I think we will get the Morgoth cult in some shape or form, but I don't think we will necessarily go deep enough into all that, which is which is a huge shame. I would love to. I think we will we will all see more of that, but yeah. Lakitia, what do you think? Are you hoping to see, or just dying to see the Morgoth cult? Uh, yeah, I think we're going to see it for sure. And I think um, what we saw in this episode with Arian could play a little bit into that. I've speculated since we first learned that she was going to be a part of the Builders Guild, uh, that she was going to be involved in the creation of the Temple of Morgoth. Uh, so I'm thinking that perhaps given that she has now likely seen the vision in, in the Palantir, I could imagine this sort of storyline play out in a way that, you know, she gets really freaked out by the, the great wave that she's seen. And then ultimately when Sauron comes and he's offering some sort of a, um, I don't know, a solution to, to that or just um, to help them prevent this sort of cataclysmic event i think she'd be willing to do whatever it takes and given that she will have the the skills i could see her being i could see them building her up to be the architecture of this sort of a temple um i don't think we'll actually see any of the other valar at any point in this show but then again i really 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 thought that we weren't gonna see valinor either and we did so yeah well um we got another caller on the line before we take this caller's call. I just want to remind people, get your super chats in. We're coming up on the end here. We'll basically take calls until the calls stop coming. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll do our raffle. So um, with that, all right, we got another caller caller. What's your name and what's your question? Hello. Yes. Can you hear me? We can. Hello. Okay, good. I uh, guess uh, I'm Nick Corbin. Yeah. You guys asked me to call in. Uh, thanks for putting the show on. Um, my question is, is um, now that Sauron's identity has been revealed, eventually he'll either get back to Numenor or, you know, they bring him in there in chains and they see his face. But how do you think they find out that they help, help Sauron, help put in a direction of retaking war? How do you think it'll affect the political situation, especially among the faithful and the king's men? Nick, great question. Thank you so much for calling in. Really appreciate it. Um, uh, Johnny, Dave, you guys want to tackle this one? Dave, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure. So, if just to make sure I'm understanding the, the question correctly, is to see what would be what what do we think would be the reaction of the Numenorians, especially the faithful, when they see eventually if Sauron gets brought back to like in chains or however he does. Um, it's a it's a great point. Um, I, I've, I've no idea is, is my answer uh, just off the top, uh, just to make that clear, but it will be very intriguing to see that play out. Um, especially if, I mean, if it's almost like a Galadriel sort of situation as well, where she's realizing that it's, she is at fault for causing this uh, big evil to be put into power. Um, I'm hoping that they do uh, have that scene. I hope that we get to see, um, that sort of realization, I think that would be fantastic. I hope that they do it justice as well. Um, but I don't know. Um, well, I think that's... I think in season two we're going to see Numenor being split, anyways, and that could be politically between the faithful and the unfaithful. And I think this could be another thing that divides people 
is there might be people that actually believe Sauron was a good guy and there'll be others that are like no no this is him this is mm. this is like the evil enemy this is we have to cast him away and that's mm -hmm. I'd imagine that whoever is in the wing that wants to um you know start worshiping Morgoth they're going to be the ones that believe that Sauron's actually a good guy and maybe this could be another ploy another part of his manipulation and um yeah we will see how he interacts with Farazan as well He's going to be Farazan's. He's very powerful. He's going to be the one to to tell people that Sauron's actually not a bad guy, or Anatar, or, or Halbrand, or whatever his name is. So um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if this is going to happen in season two, or is this going to be season three, or when's it going to come? So it's it's very interesting to, to think about. To kind of to jump onto the the previous question as well, which I think can join into this one, is the fact that. I don't know. I, I don't really actually expect to see Farazan taking his army to Valinor to try and take on the Valar. I think that one route that they could go down would be that they set up sort of, you know, they, they build the temples to Morgoth. They show these kind of people um, creating false idols and it becomes almost sort of a biblical um situation where the Valar, who are the powers, realize that this uh, country or these peoples are you know they they've gone beyond anything that they they could do and they've basically um totally turned away and it's almost like they send a giant wave as a like a Noah's Ark kind of a situation to come and flood the 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 island of Numenor without ever actually approaching Valinor themselves and, and they didn't actually dare to take on the Valar but just the fact that they turned away and they turned their backs so uh, heavily against them. Um, I think that's another way that that could come about. And as you said there, then with Sauron arriving, there could be this huge divide of the peoples, um, some of them worshipping Morgoth, taking Sauron, making him be, this is our new god. And that could be the final straw for the Valar. And that's when they send the great wave. So that's another route that they could go mm. down. We got a super chat here from uh, William. Thank you, William. And he says, a related question. The show mentioned the faithful, but what are they faithful to? The Valors are barely in the show. Are they faithful to the elves? And I think that's an interesting point. I mean, in the books, it's kind of one and the same. It's, you know, being faithful to the Valar, but also, you know, the elves as an extension of that. In the, in the show, when they reference the faithful, for the most part, they're focusing on the elves. And we haven't seen the men of Numenor. They hate the elves, the Kingsmen. We haven't seen them oppose the Valar yet. Uh, or say anything uh, openly opposing the Valar. I think that will be part of the progression we see um, as as Numenor goes kind of down this dark path. Right now they hate the elves, but we haven't seen them speak out against the Valar. Eventually we will see them speak out against the Valar. And then being faithful will mean not only being faithful to the old ways of the elves, which is kind of how they're characterizing it now, but also like, yeah, also the Valar, the literal gods that will crush us. Like, what are you, you know, what are you thinking? Um Anybody else have a different read on that? Mm, no, I think, um, yeah, I think you pretty well summed it up. I think that that's what's going to happen. But uh, I, I just go one, one step be, uh, backwards uh, regarding the question of Nick. I, didn't, I think we didn't completely answer it. I think he was also asking the... Um, what would be the political ramifications when the Numenorians realize that they helped Sauron become the king of Southlands? I think that's something that Farazan um, would uh, use to to gain more power because he can yeah, always definitely. say that Miron did that. Right. So I think 
I just wanted to clear that up. Um, Michael, can you can you repeat the question, please? <laughs> uh, the question from the super chat. No. Yeah. 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 I mean, what what uh, are you asking us? Oh, sorry. Uh, the show mentioned, this is from William, the show mentioned the faithful, but what are they faithful to? The Valor barely mentioned, uh, are they just faithful to the elves? Um, and so it's, it's kind of connected to the earlier question we got from the caller, you know, where are the Valor in the show? They're kind of only obliquely referenced. Um, you know, what's the connection between the faithful and the Valor? Yeah, I think we will, I mean, they do have statues of Ulmo and uh, what's her name? Nienna. They, yeah. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, they have the fountain. Uinen, sorry, Uinen. Yeah, I, I think that some of the articles it's also mentioned that there's like one statue that's on the opposite side of Ulmo. But anyway, so they do have. I think there's at this point. Uh, I think at this point it's one and the same as you said, elves and Valar. Though they do mention. That, that was a bit weird in, when Galadriel comes to Numenor. They do mention that uh, elves gave you the island. Or that there was like some weird exchange over there. So I think that was a bit confusing. But I do, I do think it's the Valar. And I do think that we will eventually get uh, Numenor evade, trying to invade uh, Valinor. But it, it's weird how they will handle that given how they showed us the the approach to Valinor, how that looks like. So I'm not sure. But I do think it's still the Valar. And I think we will get more into that, but not deeply enough. Because we just don't we'll have enough time to completely explore explore that. So it's a it's it's an interesting question how they will be like, okay, let's go attack the let's go attack Valinor. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they will let I, I assume Charlie Wickers uh, portray that how, how he will give them this idea but I think it's still to the Valar and just and then by extension the elves right boy the, the more I think about Nick's question such a good question you know we talked a lot in, in this stream about the irony of Galadriel aiding in Sauron that, that irony but Nick points out really that that irony applies equally to the Numenorians, and we're going to have to see the consequences of that in future seasons. Um, so and to Elendil, he, he, he added in there as well to Elendil's reaction. Yes, yeah. Boy, yeah, how do you think Elendil's... Uh, Johnny, how do you think Elendil's going to feel about this when they realize that the guy who saved me on the battlefield in the Southlands and who I helped to crown king is actually Sauron, uh, my basically sworn enemy... <laughs> I mean that's gonna that's gonna complicate his arc a little bit. I mean, first yeah, of all, he'll say thank you, Sauron, for saving me. Uh, <laughs> you know, he, he, uh, he should be gracious about that. But of course, yeah, it, it is. I mean, first of all, just to give a big shout out to Lloyd Owens and his portrayal of Elendil so far. Well, not so far now that that season one has finished. Um, I thought he was pretty masterful nearly in the entire season. I absolutely adored seeing him on screen. Mm -hmm. Um. I thought he just nailed it pretty much um, as a Lendil. And um, so I've no doubt that when that moment comes, and if it does come, when we have to see this realization, um, he's going to do that scene justice as well. Uh, but it will be very interesting. Of course, he's going to be completely, um, you know, torn up inside about the fact that 
he is trying to do the same as Galadriel. The, the one thing that he's really trying to do has caused the opposite effect. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. But um, yeah, I, I think we all have a good idea that he's not going to be very happy with the situation. So um, just whether or not they can actually bring all of that emotion to that scene and if it, how well it, I mean, there's a lot of, We've been given the writers a lot of stick during the season, and I think that they really do have a, such a difficult task to make everyone happy. And um, some of these types of questions that we're bringing up now, I'm trying to imagine if I'm a writer on this type of series, how can I, how can mm. I put that together so that everybody is actually going to be happy with the result, with the way it's been shown, and also with the how faithful. Well, speaking about faithful, how faithful it's going to be just to Tolkien, not to the elves of the Valar. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> That's what the faithful means. From yeah, yeah. The previous question. It's who's actually sticking to the lore. So just Elendil and Muriel are faithful <laughs> to Tolkien. Everybody else is, uh, you know, is out there doing a rogue thing. Yeah, it seems like now that we've been talking about all this, that one of the major themes of this season has been uh, that everybody who tries to do good ends up helping the bad guys. And uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that or but, if that but... theme will continue. Except there's for Beric. Beric has been a good boy Sauron. all season. Beric is a very good boy. <laughs> also yeah. true, but there's also the fact that Sauron did save, you know, Elendil. So, you know, yeah. And this, yeah. he did save Galadriel. So they're doing the. I think there's a lot of yin and yang going on. That's true. That's exactly. true. Sauron saves the person that's, well, involved in his eventual death. So, hmm. yeah. Well, I don't think we have any other callers. Um, I, I think the last thing I would mention about the Numenorean scenes is the omission, the glaring omission of at least one character, that is Isildur. They are leaving that as a total cliffhanger. Obviously, those of us on this stream know he's alive. Um, some people who are really totally unfamiliar with Tolkien may believe uh, he's dead and and have totally bought into that. But they're, they did not address that one way or the other, uh, which I thought they might reveal that he was alive, because I think season two will spend a lot of time. We'll spend a lot of time with him in Middle Earth. Like maybe he'll end up in Pelargir with the uh, Southlander, you know, refugees or survivors, uh, or maybe he has some other kind of mystery. So, any thoughts? And this is fully speculation territory. Any thoughts at all about what Isildur is doing and where he is? Other than obviously he's hanging out with Beric and having a bromance with his works. I think he actually might have get end up in Adar's. Um, you know, captivity or something, because we did see Adar's gang still hanging around Tirharad, and we know that the last place we saw Isildur was him getting buried under the burning logs right there. So I think there might be something to that effect. Uh, but if he did escape, I could see him uh, making his way to Pelargir and possibly getting to know the future King of the Dead. That's a theory I've seen mm. um, doing some rounds in the fandom, and I think that could be mm. a very interesting interesting option. Yeah. Does anyone think he's going to link up with Poppy? Or not Poppy, Nori, and they'll have an adventure together? <laughs> well, a she's... romance for the ages. Yeah. <laughs> While well, she's in search of um, Gandalf or the wizard, he would be <laughs> the tour guide. Well, actually, he doesn't know anything about Middle Earth. So <laughs> be a terrible tour guide, but I don't know. Two random characters. Well, he has a horse, together. so, you know. Yeah. 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 Johnny also no. said before that we're definitely going to get a scene with Beric that we, similar to the one that we got in the Lord of the Rings movies with yeah. Aragorn mm -hmm. and his horse. 100%. Yeah. 100%. It's going to happen. They're going to kiss. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the romance we've been waiting for. Yeah. Give us um, what we want. Uh, <laughs> give it to that's me. That's what all. they. 
<laughs> no, 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 not in this context, please. That's the most that's Tolkien, they, yeah, that's the most Tolkien, Tolkien line, though. Yeah. yeah, that's what they needed the intimacy coordinator for, you know, the kids between <laughs> Barak and uh, Oh, god. Well, you see what kind of uh, discussion you'll get on the Melonheads podcast. Uh, <laughs> that's absolutely true. Yeah, <laughs> Melonheads raw and wriggling. <laughs> uh, all right, before this gets even more X rated, um, I, I, I think we've. I think we've pretty much covered a lot of the major plot points, but um, anything else anyone wants to say about this this episode? You know, this is the season finale. Um, we were not going to see any more episodes. Any final thoughts? Um, you know, we will. We may do another stream here where we talk about the season as a whole. But um, you know, after seeing the seeing the season finale, any preliminary thoughts about the season? Straight. Yeah, I, I want to say one, one thing. Um, I I met. Um, I was wearing my uh, actually the same shirt I'm wearing now. So all I'm doing is shirt. And um, a friend, like a, a guy, approached me from our, our friend group, and he said that he watched the TV show, and we were talking about. He, he said that he didn't watch the movies before, so he was very or or read the books, so he was very 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 new to the whole Tolkien Tolkien universe, and he said that he really loved the reveal. So we have right. a, a first hand first hand experience from someone who was a total newbie to the Lord to the Tolkien universe. He said that he uh, thought it was a stranger and hmm. that the sound reveal really caught him off guard and that, that he really loved it. So I just want to say like uh, that's like from the perspective of someone who is really out of everything it worked. So that's, cool. that, that's some encouraging news. But overall I think the season definitely had a lot of issues. But to be fair, the this show and especially this first season of the show had a really hard task. Of I, one might say they even took too big of a bite. It remains to be seen, but it could be definitely argued even now that they perhaps took too big of a bite, trying to set up so many things from the start because they needed to build this whole huge world with. You know, four or five different locations, a huge cast, um, and to set up this this crazy big story that's going to span five seasons. Um, there was a lot of issues. I think there was a lot of positives as well. Uh, a lot of actors who absolutely nailed their roles. Adar comes to mind, who was absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, Stranger, a lot of a lot of good stuff, but a lot of also problematic things that I think. We'll, have, we'll, we'll need more time to discuss. But overall, I think there's, there's definitely potential in this show to become something really, really cool in the, in the coming seasons. But I think so far, it was really hot and cold for me. Like some really good things, but some things that will really put me, down, put me off. Uh, so yeah, overall, I'm like somewhere in the middle. I, 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 need, to see, I need to see more before giving it... Um, final mark but yeah okay Tia, how about you final thoughts um yeah i keep i keep repeating this but i'm gonna repeat it one more time because i'm too sleepy to come up with anything original at this point um i the season was absolutely much better than i feared it would be but it absolutely wasn't as good as i i hoped it would be um 
I'm, I mostly had issues with the writing itself. I felt that lots of the dialogue wasn't my cup of tea. Um, I loved how beautiful it looked. It was shot beautifully. And mostly I was super impressed by the performances. There were one, of, one or two where I thought, you know, they could have been stronger, but some of them were just amazing. Like uh, Halbrand, I thought was amazing. Durin, Disa, Elrond, Nori, The Stranger. I, I thought all of them gave really, really heartfelt performances. I really appreciated them a lot. Uh, the one... Adar, yeah, mm. Adar was, uh, yeah, he was probably the the MVP of the the whole season. Mm. Um, what I thought the season did really, really well were friendships, relationships between characters in general. Um, you know, Nori and Poppy, Nori and Meteor Man, uh, Durin and and Elrond, and even Galadriel and Halbrand. I thought all those relationships, friendships were very, very strong and very compelling to watch as well. Um, but I still, I'm not the biggest fan of the direction this show has chosen to take. Uh, I would have much preferred it if Celebrimbor was the central figure rather than Galadriel. And maybe going forward, he still might become one. Uh, but I think in order for his eventual fate to really land, we will need to spend much more time with him and we will need a much deeper characterization. Uh, but yeah, all in all, I'm... I'm not thrilled, but uh, it was a, a pleasant season. That's where I'm at. So, yeah. Johnny, Dave, a pleasant season? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I would go one step more than it just being a pleasant season. I was really... Um, I definitely woke up every Friday morning uh, very giddy and very excited <laughs> because... Um, I think my biggest takeaway from this and the thing that I enjoyed the most was just being back in Middle Earth. And I feel like the visuals gave me that. I feel like the music gave me that. And um, I think that I, I can speak for Dave as well, where I can say that the music was probably one of the biggest pros for both of us. That's what I was going to bring up. Yeah. Well, I stole in your point now. Mm -hmm. So you have to go up <laughs> something else. Um, so I really, really enjoyed um hearing the music and feeling like I have I, I was back in Miller. The, the the quote that I brought up earlier of Farazon's quote, one of the reasons that stood out to me so much was because of the, the music, uh what that added, the element that, that added to uh it added this extra weight onto it, this feeling of this ancient uh, I don't know, just this civilization that was. Um, I think that's exactly what Bear said in an interview that he was trying to to achieve, and I think he 100% got that. So, um, loved that about the series. Um, I'm really going to miss it. I'm going to miss uh, having a, a weekly thing to discuss about new information about Lord of, the, uh, Lord of the Rings and this whole world. And just, I know for good or for bad, we've all had to, like every week we've been able to just see something new and experience something new in this world that we all hold so dear. So I think that's what I'm going to, that's my biggest takeaway is that I'm going to miss this series not being on. Um, did I love every aspect? Uh, no. And were there some things that were quite frustrating? Yes, of course. But I'm choosing to try and uh, ignore those things and focus on the, the positives. Yeah, I think I would agree with most of that. Um, I I am going to miss it. I think that the most annoying thing about the show for me is nothing to do with the show itself, but it's all the negativity online and mm. a lot of the hate. And just oh, you God. could you could nitpick any TV series to death and there's always going to be mistakes. And even the Peter Jackson trilogy, which is like 
they're some of the greatest movies of all time. You can nitpick those to death. It doesn't make it any less good because I think this show, a lot of the stuff that people were taking gripes at, it, it was just silly. It was like, especially that one when there was a big crowd and someone had like picked out all the people that were duplicated. <laughs> I was like, that's incredible <laughs> that they've actually gone and put the time into making it seem more filled out when it was filmed in COVID and, and like, yeah. it's something you don't notice. And this was a huge talking point for why this TV show is bad. And that was just so yeah. dumb for me. But yeah, um, I did want to have one last question for everyone. If everyone wants to say yay or nay, because the very end of this season finale was the the song with the one ring poem. Hmm. And I really liked it. I thought it reminded me of Gollum's song from the two towers mm-hmm. and just the way the, 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 the episode finished as well, like overlooking Mordor and then the music coming in. It's very unsettling. I really liked it. And yeah, I just, I heard one negative review online and I want to know what you guys think. Yes or yes or no. Yay. <laughs> for me, yay. it's a yay. Okay. Strider? Yeah, for me as well. I really liked it. Uh, it, it really gave me some nice goosebumps. And I um, I <laughs> really enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm absolutely not at all an expert or any sort of like whatever, like absolute noob when it comes to music and all that. I just really like the, the day went with like it being higher. Because I think we associate the higher tones. I guess that's why, like, I think that's why babies usually hit those higher tones because that's like the more dangerous vibe. And that's when the fact that they were singing it in such a high tone, it really hit the creepiness and like the danger mm-hmm. and like the, the darkness of those lines that are supposed to be like, you know, fighting the fate of the whole world into this. Um, evil with with this evil artifact and all that. I really, enjoy, I I really liked it. And I, I was singing it kind of in my head the whole day. <laughs> Me too. So Sweet. Stuck Sweet. in my head all weekend. And I was just so happy to hear the Ringverse put to music, which I wasn't expecting. Yeah. You know, that was yes. a great no, way to end no. the episode. What a great surprise! Um, great it wasn't my favorite. Uh, song from the show, like the Wandering Song, is still my favorite, and it, it evoked the most Tolkienian feelings for me. Um, but this is, I thought it was very good and just such a great surprise. Great way to end it. So yeah, I, it's a thumbs up for me for sure. And, and Fiona really Apple's cool. great performance. I, I, I did, I did a rewatch today, and um, I'm not sure when exactly. Oh, actually, maybe before. Like uh, I didn't catch it the first time, but you can hear the tones a bit earlier before the yeah. cut starts rolling. You can hear it before that. And it was yeah. you. You I, first when hear them when the. When the rings yeah. are being created, that's the first time you actually yeah, hear I think so. that. Yes, yeah, I think so. Those tones. It was so cool. cool when you rewatch it. It was so cool to hear, like, oh, look at it. Look, you're, it's, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, it, yeah. this show is going to have a lot of cool stuff for, the, despite its flaws, and it does have flaws, it's going to have a lot of cool stuff for the rewatches. I, I mm-hmm. can't wait to rewatch it again. Yeah. yeah, and I'll say it's hard for me to separate my experience talking about the show with my opinion of the show i've had such an incredibly good time talking about the show i always have such good feelings after these streams and i i've enjoyed it all so much that i it's hard for me to separate separate that pleasurable experience from the show so like i i enjoy the show and i've loved having it on and um um i will uh like johnny said i will miss it Uh, i wish there were 20 episodes i hate that amazon only does eight um but i Mm -hmm. i think that 
to create hopefully a point of optimism, I think that the series got better pretty much with every episode. You know, not a straight trajectory, but it got stronger as the season went on, I think. And uh, at least that's my opinion. And I think we can, I'm hopeful that that will continue, that it will, it's, it's sort of finding its footing and it will just get stronger and stronger as the series goes on. Um, and sort of stepping back, like there are issues with it, with the lore, and we can, we've talked about all that. But, you know, compared to, there are so many trash TV shows out there. There are so many that are so bad. And this could have been one of them, just an absolute garbage dumpster fire, like terrible show. And it really wasn't. It is by any metric, like good and enjoyable in so many ways. There's so many things that they did so, so well, um, you know, that there are things that rub us the wrong way because we're so heavily invested in Tolkien. But at least I'm so pleased that it is at least like a good show at a very base level. It's um, fundamentally mm-hmm. enjoyable to watch and they can, that's something they can build on, you know? Um, so I, I'm very happy about that uh, because otherwise I would be, pot committed to watching five years of trash television if it was absolutely awful (laughs) (laughs) Um, i'm excited about continuing to watch the rings of power and not dreading it so yeah Hmm. well we've reached the end of this stream i think um johnny dave what can people expect from the melonheads podcast council of elrond uh going forward are you gonna keep pumping out material What, what do you plan on doing no, that's it. Now we're, um, we're finished now for <laughs> forever. <laughs> no, no, we're going to we're going to go right back into the old podcasting ways where we're going to talk about lore things, some fun things to do with Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, anything really. But we will have some more Rings of Power content coming, but obviously not as much as the last seven weeks put together. But yeah, so if anyone wants to listen to our podcast, we don't just specifically talk about Rings of Power. Uh, we're going to have lots of deep dives into characters, locations, events, cool things. And obviously with everything that's coming out as well, I know there's going to be new games coming out. There's going to mm-hmm. be the War of the Rohirrim movie coming yeah. out in a couple of years. So we're going to be covering all that kind of lovely stuff as well. And expect to see some great guests on. We're going to have to get all of you guys onto our, mm-hmm. onto our show. It's that's been great. Point. Yeah. But that's, that's another good thing about the Rings of Power. It's kind of brought a lot of us together yeah. as a community, I think, mm-hmm. as well, that we've kind of we've been on uh, had people on our show. We've been on other people's shows. And I kind of feel like we kind of had a, a small sort of a relationship before all of this. But now that the, this mm-hmm. I think this series was the kind of the, uh, the sticky know, the, glue. The sticky glue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To that bring them all and in the yeah. bind them. One show bind one, them. One show to bind them, yeah. Um <laughs> So I think that was a really another good thing that, that we could say about the Rings of Power. But yeah, as Dave said, we will be continuing on with um, with all the typical things that we did before the Rings of Power was ever a thing on our screens. We will be doing deep dives and character uh, backgrounds and all that kind of stuff. Sorry, Strider, I cut you off. Uh, no, I actually wasn't going to cut you off, so it's a cut you off. <laughs> also, another great thing is that a lot of people like from from around me like in my surroundings i'm sleepy so i'm mumbling but uh, a lot of people are got interested in books which is major major like that's the most most important thing that can come out of this so that's great mm-hmm. but also as you said like just the community growing getting stronger like getting closer and all that that's perfect so yeah please continue mm. No, oh, yeah. Yeah. no, yeah. So to wrap that up, you can find us on Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook, 
TikTok as well, but that's kind of been abandoned a, a little bit. We need to just learn some more dance moves. Yeah, we need to learn some more dance moves. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ooh, you can search okay. us. <laughs> our main our main channel would probably be the Twitter one where you can find us at Melon underscore heads and Melon with two L's. And uh, yeah, if you want to look up our podcast, it's called The Council of Elrond and you can find it on any podcast platform. And we're on YouTube now as well, so people can check us out there. Yep. So yeah, yeah, the end. That's it. <laughs> awesome, awesome. And we are going to do our raffle in just a second. But uh, Strider, Lakitia, what's on the head for Fellowship of Fans now that the season's over? Um, back to spoilers, spoiler territory, leaks for season two. You know what can we expect from yes. Fellowship of Fans? Yes, we're going back to sleuthing full time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the foreseeable future, we're going to continue doing what we've been doing so far. Uh, we're going to continue to try and bring you all sorts of varied content from lower deep dives to lots of panels in our future. Uh, but yeah, hopefully, you know, as they, they've already started filming season two, so we're counting on our little birds all across the UK to bring <laughs> us some juicy news we can entertain you guys with. And I just want to address something that uh, the the melon heads just said. I'm sorry, I don't know which one said that, but I think the the we are which melon. Yeah. <laughs> the one? yellow one, the the orange one. Um I do I do think that um the way that the, the the whole fandom community got connected and got together around this show has been really really wonderful seeing all the content creators just you know visiting each other's channels it's just been such a pleasure and also meeting everybody that we've met in person i've i've spent the the new york premiere with mike here uh, was also a, a wonderful experience and uh let's just i just hope this continues from here on out Mm-hmm. That's all. Well, and let's hope that there are more premieres in our future. I hope they do something similar for season two. And some I of them in Slovenia it. as well. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, are generally closer to <laughs> middle of Europe. Earth. You know, if, <laughs> if it's in Slovenia, I'll Slovenia. I am there. I will go. Yes, I have a couch right here for you. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's a big one to fit all of us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, as always, it's such such a pleasure. Um, spe- you know, Lakita Strider, it's great every every time we get to chat every week. Um, and Dan, uh, or sorry, Dave and Johnny, I look forward to having you guys on our podcast in you know I don't know ten years. We reached out to you about a year <laughs> yeah. a year year and a half ago to line you up to talk about the Boromir scene, and it, we're going so slowly through Peter Jackson's Fellowship of the Ring. I think we have spent twenty twenty five hours, and we're only at the Mines of Moria. So. Those are great movies. Those are great films. I will spend yeah. all you know. I, I will spend all the time. But uh, we will have these guys on uh, our podcast, the Watch Party, Lord of the Rings podcast, uh, to talk about Boromir's death scene, which we got a preview. You guys love love Boromir's <laughs> death because you hate Boromir. Uh, I did not because no, we love him. <laughs> no, no, you, you hate him. That's the official word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, such a pleasure speaking with everybody. Um, so we're going to wrap it up and, um, I'm really sad. We're not going to have many more of these, but, um, that's how it is. Tears are an evil. Yeah. Can I just Uh, say a great, great, great job, Mike hosting, uh, the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well done. Every, every, every question gets set up in such a, such an amazing way that I'm like, should they even say something after this? Yeah. And thanks as well for having us on. It's like, Perfect. Mm-hmm.
Oh yeah, our pleasure. We've already uh, done a show with with Dave before a couple of months ago, and that mm -hmm. was so much fun. And uh, we hope to see you guys back soon. That'll do it. Thank you, everyone. Wikitia, Strider, Dave, Johnny, such a pleasure. And everyone in the chat, thanks for sticking with us for uh, about four hours now. And I could go for four hours more, but we got to end it sometime. So thank you, everyone. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you, Bye, my guys. Bye, guys.